detective. Throw me. Scream! Scream for your lives! You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Oh, I know this creature of yours. When the dragon gets this old, it knows nothing but pain. Scientists are saying the future is going to be far more futuristic than they originally predicted. Welcome to Mount Careboard, gentlemen. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. So, celestial event. That works. You really shook the pillars of heaven, didn't you? What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Phantom Galaxy podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bartleball, joined, as always, by Bill Van Vagel. Bill, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. Back in the work swing of work after two months off. I love it, and I'm really looking forward to hearing our guest because, one, he's a fellow Canuck, so I'm happy about that, and two, he got to see some movies that I haven't even heard of, so I'm really curious to hear what he has to say. So, uh, Nathan, why don't you kind of set our guest up? <laughs> I think we already set him up by inviting him on, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then and introduce him. So we have with us tonight Jason Whittington, who, uh, as Bill pointed out, is Canadian, and he's here to talk to us about uh, a bunch of movies from the Fantasia Film Festival, which is, in my opinion, one of the coolest film festivals out there. It really specializes in genre movies for the most part and it's usually sort of where a lot of them premiere first so some of the big movies that later everyone goes nuts for after about half a year if it didn't premiere at sundance it's usually showing up at something like fantasia so i think it's a really cool i very rarely have ever gotten to attend it because it is in canada and uh, even when they do the virtual screenings if you uh, from the perspective of someone who's you know, buying the movies for streaming that you can't really do it unless you're in Canada. The only time I ever got to see any is back in the film critic days when they would give me specific links to to go watch them. So, Jason, uh, go ahead, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Fantasia Film Festival. Uh, well, OK. Hi, I'm Jason uh, Widgington um, from Montreal. So I'm right in the middle of the uh, Fantasia Festival's home home field. And by the way, thank you guys. It's an honor to be here. And I really appreciate you guys asking me to be on. Fantasia has, has been around for 25 years now. And it really started out as uh, more or less just a couple of friends getting together uh, and, and uh, wanting to screen some uh, hard to get in North America films on the big screen from Asia, uh, you know, Kung Fu stuff or or um, comedies and, and, and action films and uh, they they have a good uh, history of Hong Kong uh, crime films and stuff like that, uh, but then it, it it expanded and it got really popular. And around about uh, early 2000s, it really started to be uh, well known for its its genre fair. So it, not just Asian films, but horror films from all over the world, uh, North America, South America, Europe, any basically all over the world, as I said. But this year marks its 25th year anniversary, and there's even through COVID, they managed to uh, put up quite a lineup. So I actually saw 33 feature films this year. Uh, That's impressive. That's awesome. <laughs> 
Well, what happens though is living in Canada, and that you can actually buy a, a an all access pass, and and it really came out to like two or three bucks a movie. It's a sweet deal. You can't go wrong. Uh, but again, they 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 wall it into Canada unless you're a, a media, uh, as uh, as Nathan was mentioning, uh, that they would send you links to films that you wanted to cover and stuff. Uh, this year, I didn't have media access. I've I have in the past, but it's been a few years. Just dropped off the face of that little precipice but um but yeah i did see 33 uh feature films a few of them in person and it's you know what it's weird to think that it's been going for 25 years now like and i i obviously wasn't cued into it since the very beginning but right about when you mentioned like the 2000s early 2000s and that's when i became aware of it and, and if i'm being honest it was probably through sites like twitch and ain't it cool news and and places like that they were putting emphasis not only on those movies but places where you could watch them so fantasia would pop up as a place where you can see them and i remember reading reviews coming out of there about things like cat soup bill remembers that one and audition and all of those sorts of movies and it's so funny to think how i i was flipping through amazon today and hulu and it's like all these things are right there to grab and get but do you remember how difficult it was in those early 2000s uh, particularly if you weren't writing for a publication or had some kind of inroad to find some of these movies, particularly the foreign films. Like I remember buying things off of eBay that now are just floating around on Tubi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, now, Jason, one thing I did want to ask with it being in Montreal and me being a fellow Canadian, did they have any uh, spotlights or time set aside for Canadian created or Canadian shot films within the festival? Well, they always have a, a section uh, of their uh, juries for uh, for uh, Canadian films. So they'll have a best Canadian film uh, option, a uh, prize, you know, screenplay. Uh, they, they have sections for Asia, North America, rest of the world, and they also have a Canadian section. Okay. And with it, with it being virtual, is there much interaction with the creators of any of these films or is it pretty much just read the notes and watch the movie? No, no. In fact, a lot of the films, uh, in fact, even though there, there uh, was not a lot of in person, I'd say maybe 10 to 15% of their screenings were in person. uh, And then uh, a lot online, but with a lot of them being world premieres or North American premieres and that the uh, filmmakers and a lot of the cast members and, and producers and, you know, crew members were available, and after many of the films, they would do uh, online Q and A's. So, uh, one of the hosts of the uh, of the festival, one of the programmers, would would host the Q and A uh, on like a Zoom session, and uh, anyone who tunes in would be able to type in a question and and ask them that. So, yeah, they're, they're all they, a lot of them are made uh, made available. So, they, it's still you don't lose 100% of the, the personal experience. It's always fun to see the movie with the crowd, obviously, especially some of the crowd-pleasing uh, types of movies. But uh, it's still good enough. And, and, you know, I even typed in a question and, and, and uh, Ricky Bates answered it. So <laughs> it was it was really cool. Uh, sorry, if you don't know Ricky Bates, that's uh, he, the director of uh, Excision, uh, Trash Fire, Tone Death. Suburban Gothic, yeah. Urban Gothic, and then this year's uh, King Knight, which he, which was at the festival, which was actually a, quite a good film. I gave that one an 8.5 on 10. It's a straight-ahead comedy, but it's about a 
a coven of witches in uh, in California, uh, starring Matthew Gray Goobler, who uh, seems to be uh, in cahoots with uh, Richard Bates because they've done a few films together already. Um, if you don't know the name, he's the slightly nerdy guy from uh, Criminal Minds. Oh, nice. <laughs> It's so, a good way to describe him, yeah. Yeah, the the yeah, he's got some insecurity. I don't know if you're a fan of Criminal Minds, but he's got he's the insecure, younger, uh, nevishy, I suppose is a good word for him, kind of guy. But uh, it's a really really funny movie, really good. Um, I would definitely recommend seeking it out, even if you're listening to this because you're into sci-fi or horror. if you like comedy, it's it's a it's it's a lot of fun. He is um, a, fil- a fun filmmaker, and it's ironic because I literally about 10 minutes before this mentioned Excision to Bill because Bill was mentioning watching a movie called Incision. And uh, I think after he described it to me, I said, you sound like you'd be better off watching Excision, but he's a fun filmmaker. And we can get to that later. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. Um. So I mean, yeah, and it, it, they have all kinds of, of different styles of movies. Um, I mean, my favorite of, of this year was was a a complete, uh, I'd say gore fest. Um, but that's yes, gore, gore, gore. <laughs> that's up my alley. It was a film called The Sadness. It's made by by Rob Jabaz, who is actually a uh, an expat Canadian who uh, lives in Taiwan. So it's a Taiwanese film. And uh, what it's about is is it's about an infection that it's sort of a zombie movie, but they're not really zombies. It's an infection that that basically knocks down people's uh, internal barriers that keep them from acting on their deepest desires and most violent impulses. And uh, trust me, it's all shown on screen, unflinching. The camera does it. The camera stays on it. Uh, it's, it's very explicit. Um, which isn't to say it's it's the most gross film I've ever seen or or whatever, but it just the effects are quite quite impressive for somebody who's doing his first film. Um, and it's more or less a love story when you think about it, because it's about these uh, a young couple who have a little bit of an argument because uh, <clears throat> the the uh, the young man, his name is uh, Jim. Uh, is a bit of a, a lazy guy, and he's trying to become a filmmaker and that, and she's bringing home all the money. So he he basically drives her to work one day on his on his little bike, and uh, or drives her to the to the subway actually, and then that's when uh, you know when all hell breaks loose, and a few people start to. Uh, he goes in to get a coffee at a cafe, for example, and 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 a, an old lady walks in and just takes a deep fry, takes a, the the um, the cashier's face into the deep fryer, and and you just see all the face melting and everything, and it, it, it's unbelievable the violence in there. But as over the top as it sounds, it's 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 not like your your typical meatball machine or Tokyo Gore Police kind of Japanese films that were. <laughs> That were popular in the mid 2000s. Uh, Ebola syndrome, I think, on the Chinese end of things, you know. Yeah, and you know, there's nothing wrong with those, but this this has sort of a, a based in reality, uh, a bit of a current events feeling with you know uh, COVID going around and that. Uh, 
it just makes it all that much more disturbing and actually a little bit thought-provoking when you think about it. But, uh, you know, as obvious as the, the political, there is some political stuff in there too, but as obvious as they, they may be in the film, the political and societal undertones uh, or overtones, it's not so on the nose as to take away from the enjoyment of, of those who just want to watch like an, an out and out gore fest. Um, so it, would you say it's a thinking man's gore fest? Not even, <laughs> not even, you can completely take yourself out of that. But the, you know, I mean, the, 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 one of the first major set pieces takes place on the subway and it, uh, you know, the, um, Rob Jabaz, the director, the writer director, um, said that that was more or less his, his take on, on the Tokyo subway uh, attacks back in the early 2010s, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember that, but some guy just went nuts and, and, uh, stabbed stabbing them. people, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. It seems similar to, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Japanese film Naked Blood. I have no, no, I have not either. It's a, uh, I wouldn't say it's exactly the same at all, but just kind of in tone. So I, I was I'm, getting the signal vibes. If you guys have seen the signal. Okay. Yep. I don't know. I, I'm just going, but the signal, it was, uh, there's a couple movies with that name, but there was one made in, I want to say 2006 or seven, and it was actually broken into three separate sequences, but it involved essentially a guy and a girl in a similar scenario of uncertainty in their relationship due to similar, uh, you know, inequities. And they find themselves in the middle of there's a signal going out and it's causing people to sort of go, you know, back crap crazy. And now what you're talking about sounds a little bit more in depth and has a little bit more uh you know, development to it. But in this one, people were just sort of going nuts and sometimes their inner person was coming out and they were doing crazy, horrible things to one another. Well, it, in a sense, it is very similar, but, but it's, uh, it knocks down their, their, the things that keep them from doing all of the evil things or bad things that they want to do. And, and in taking that down, it, it, in fact, um, what's the word? Basically, they enjoy doing what they're doing. Right. They're, they're aware of it and they're like cognizant. They're they're talking They're uh, They just want to do evil things and and they're enjoying it. The smiles on their, on their faces. It's actually very, very creepy. Um, (laughs) You know, and it's not just violence. Well, yes, it's violence, but it's not just violence of a, a, uh, uh, head bashing kind of variety. It's sexual. It's hypersexual. There's all kinds of. It's it's disturbing. But I have to tell you, and that's one of the the, the three that I saw with the crowd. So uh, maybe that helped my experience. But we we were all like, ah, ooh, oh. <laughs> so but it, yeah, and it seems like the one. Uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of us know each other through like the Land of the Creeps and the Facebook pages and things there, and, and a lot of the, the horror sites and horror you know groups online. That this was the one that was putting Fantasia on everyone's radar this year, I think, you know, was everyone was like the sadness. They saw the trailer and kind of went nuts for it. The one last question I have regarding this one, Jason, is it does sound like as you're describing it, though, it sounds like there is a bit of a story and and maybe some heart to the story. Absolutely. I mean, the, the whole movie is is him and is uh, Jim and uh, his girlfriend, Kat, uh, 
trying to get back together so that they can escape. There are a lot of people who are not affected by the, the infection. So um, it, it's a story of them trying to uh, reach each other again so that they can figure out what to do and, and get away. Uh, I do have to say, though, that, that as you mentioned, it, it does seem to be the one that a lot of people were into for this year. Uh, it's the only film that Fantasia has ever put a trigger warning on. Wow, that's something for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've had uh, some weird and crazy stuff in there. I mean, I saw a Serbian film there, and uh, to me, a Serbian film should have had a trigger warning before this one. But uh, but this, this one's pretty bad. It's uh, but in, in in the best possible way. It if actually proceed with caution if you're not if you're a little uh, skittish around those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people will be will be flinching or, or turning their heads at certain moments. Uh, uh, there's a, a really uh, intense scene with a, a group of hooligans uh, and a uh, an unfortunate man and a basketball pole. So now, was this a world or North American or even Canadian premiere? Uh, I don't remember now. It wasn't world premiere because it was. It actually was released in theaters in in Taiwan in uh, last December. Okay. Uh, I think it might only have, it might have been a North American premiere. Uh, but that's I, I'm not 100 percent certain. But it did win. Well, the, Bill, uh, that sounds like a go out and buy it on on your end. <laughs> I'll, that, I'll oh, it. I'll I, I'm it just up. waiting for it to come on to uh, Tubi. So you know. He might be waiting a while for that. <laughs> it, it did win the uh, the new Flesh Award uh, for best first feature, oh, uh, which was actually one of the coolest trophies or, or like trophy, I guess that that I've ever seen. <laughs> it was like a big giant uh, uh, horse, uh, <laughs> was, and it was actually nominated for best Asian feature as well, which is kind of funny when you think it was made by a Canadian. Yeah. That's cool. Well, that that's uh, the sadness, and that sounds cool. What would you say you rated that one? For myself, it's a it was a nine on ten. Nice, but that's I, awesome. So that's yeah. a nice first date, hold your hand, get lucky night movie, right? It depends on your date, <laughs> and if the inhibitors are down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, well, you know, the question I was going to ask off the bat was. Uh, now was that it was was that your favorite film you saw or I would have to, I would you know when when pressed I would probably say yes um, but again I I don't like dealing in in favorites like that either I really yeah. like it or or I I kind of like it or whatever it's it's hard for me to pick a favorite so I mean, my I, sorry go ahead. My question was going to be, and this may be the same film. What was the? What do you think the weirdest thing you saw at the Fantasia Film Festival was? From this year? Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. From this year, from from 2021. Uh, let's see. There was one called Strawberry Mansion, <laughs> and I. It was weird, but I it was somewhat enjoyable. I, I enjoyed the story of it. Um. If you could follow along, but uh, I did actually give it a seven on ten. Um, I'd be hard pressed to try and describe the uh, what it's about, though. Well, I, I, I was well. going to say 
Nathan, haven't you seen this one before? I have. I think I reviewed it on Phantom Galaxy and on Horror Movie Podcast with Josh. And I came to a similar point, uh, Jason, where it's like, how do you really describe it? Like, you can sort of semi-describe the plot, but you can't describe the feel of it. Because even though it feels like it's made of pieces of Terry Gilliam and uh, Jean-Pierre Gounet, who did Amelie and things like that, it's still kind of wholly weird in its own way. Like, there's a little Eternal Sunshine but there's almost a little like Napoleon Dynamite. It's hard to get a handle on it. It's just yeah, such it really a. Is. It's it's very quirky, very quirky. It's it's if you had to say something about it, it's it's about a, a guy who his job is to audit people's dreams. Yeah. Or, and and he goes to a lady who has not. It's almost like paying your taxes, and she hasn't done it in in many many years or whatever, and she's basically uh, going to be dying soon uh and so he goes to audit all of her dreams that she has and they're all on these videos and whatever and he puts this weird helmet on and sort of uh, injects himself into the dreams and, and watches them as if he's there experiencing them and from there he i don't know he falls in love with a younger version of her in her dreams it, it it's really strange and there's something about a I don't know if you remember, but the chicken milkshake. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is a weird one. I've seen it twice because it was at Sundance and I liked it so much at Sundance that I, I I virtually attended the Chattanooga film festival this summer and they had it there as well. And it's just a really neat, weird little movie. Like it's, uh, the visuals are fantastic. The little, the little dream sequences are are great, but the, uh, with the pirate ship and the, and, and the monster in the sea. Uh, Bill, you must be going, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> oh, I've, no. I've actually remember very vividly the review that uh, Nathan did. And after a while, he just goes, Bill, don't take any notes. Just watch the damn film. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, I, I think you were intrigued. And if yep. you're someone who likes to, who loves weird imagery, who loves that feeling of seeing something that maybe you haven't seen before and just getting lost in the imagery. It's that kind of movie. But I think this one has a bit of a heart to it, too. Like, it's a little, you know, it's very quirky. It's very uh, whimsical. But I really, I had really enjoyed it. I'd almost, I probably would go an eight on this one. Uh, but again, it's, it is almost like a movie that was almost made for me, you know. And Albert Bernie, he, they've done, uh, he's done some pretty strange movies. He did one called The Beast Pageant. I think it was one of their first ones. I saw it at the Maryland Film Festival. And it was a very strange, very handmade film. Uh, and that's what's cool about the effects. Like, they're not, they're very sort of uh, analog, you know, they're very retro in the way they display these things. We're not talking like wall to wall CGI or anything like that. No. It's got a very uh, eccentric sort of visual style. It does, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, seven, eight on 10, it, it's, it's interesting. And and worth yeah. worth watching. It's it's not at all a horror movie. I wouldn't say. No, no. It, it, well, it, yeah, almost like a it's a whimsical romantic fantasy, but maybe the romance is below the whimsy. You know, the science yeah. of sleep is a movie that came to mind when watching this one. Mm. Mm. Although I like this better, I think, than the science of sleep. Uh, there's a lot of weird ones. I, there's, I mean, if you're into mockumentaries, there's a there was one called Operation Luchador. <laughs> and it sounds it's as crazy as as uh as it sounds um what it is is 
in the days, early days of World War II or, or of the German, uh, the rise of the Nazis, um, the Allies uh, hire on a Mexican luchador to <laughs> to uh, basically watch over North America and make sure that the they're not being infiltrated by uh, a rise in Nazi thought and that in on North American shores. And from there, uh, it gets even weirder. And it's it's, but it's a mockumentary. They're interviewing people. It's a Quebec. Uh, it's a movie from Quebec, so it's it's in French but with English subtitles. And what <laughs> it's just so absurdly done and funny that like everybody's speaking French, uh, even even the uh, the Mexican people who knew the wrestler and that, and you know, going through the history of this this. Uh, this luchador, this famous luchador. Um, but the one person who speaks English is a friend of his, and he's actually a Quebecer, and he has a very thick Quebec accent, but he's speaking English. It's weird like that. It's just, it's really strange. But uh, what happens is, is uh, his name is the Golden Angel, and, and he infiltrates the ranks of 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 we as you know he, he stays on with the allies through the war and that and he actually infiltrates uh hitler's inner circle and uh they show how he's responsible for uh, for capturing and, and killing hitler uh <laughs> even though he supposedly killed himself uh, and all that and what happened to his brain and you know the one who committed suicide was a doppelganger and it, it's there's Nazi Yetis in it. it. It's really, really strange, but funny as all get out, um, but not for everybody. Um, I myself gave it an eight on ten, but and that's just not a. That's not just. I'm smiling over here. I yeah, don't know I, about Bill, but well, I well the, the element, the element of historical accuracy mixed in with a luchador. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Nazi maybe, Yetis, and and Nazi Yetis. Being a guy with a history degree, I, I gotta find this film. And in fact, his his way of getting over to, uh, to getting into the inner circle was to uh, to romance uh, Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot. It sounds like a very inventive movie, and I love those. And I do like a good mockumentary when it when it's uh, able to kind of cue in on that sense of it's silly but not too silly you know that they know how to present it they know what a documentary actually looks like and then they're also able to just tap into the wackiness so it sounds great to me so here's a question i got for you jason and you probably didn't think this was coming but i'm going to make you scratch your head you said you saw in somewhere in the area of 33 films and you can always pick off your first two or three which one was number 33 Wow. Well, I have the list in front of me. The lowest rating I gave was a 5 on 10. Which is actually not too bad for the lowest of. There are two 5 on 10. Yeah, but I'm, I, I'm a generous rater. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 5 out of 10 is like almost a positive for me. <laughs> um, and I gave two 5 out of 10s. One was called Hotel Poseidon. And a lot oh, of the- uh, Gene Hackman, is he in that one? No. And the other was called uh, Mother Schmuckers, which is kind of like a uh, 
I believe it's Belgian uh, version of Dumb and Dumber, but even 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 dumber than Dumb and Dumber, like <laughs> dumber and dumber than Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. And yeah. that's so- in there but and, and i laughed a few times and that's why i gave it a five and and the fact that it was short enough to make me sit through the whole thing and can you can so, you surmise the plot of uh hotel poseidon in, in one minute no <laughs> <laughs> but that the title is cool like the title would have me intrigued but it's also the kind of title i'd see on tubi i'm just saying yeah i, oh, I for sure no i, I wouldn't it's not really really hard to uh so what what genre does it fall into though i do have that question because i don't know anything about it other than what you the title that you just you just said uh, i call it again a weird fantasy so a little bit in the vein of strawberry mansion but not not as uh not as good not as out there yeah not as well presented um i mean there's a guy that, that he pretends to be the manager of this hotel, but it, it's a hotel that hasn't had clients in years. It's fungus on the walls. Uh, but here, here's what IMDb says. Well, I, I just uh, looked it up. It's a whole paragraph. <laughs> Comments such as faded glory and has never has seen better times completely fall short to describe the establishment. He wanders the corridors of his personal overlook hotel like a zombie being a passive spectator to what happens around him, whether it's clients without cash. Uh, Oh, sorry, I gotta expand it to read all. Yeah, it's way too much. Uh, <laughs> You're good. Uh, it's it's not. I'm not gonna say don't see it. Uh, read <laughs> read that summary, and if it seems like something you might like, is uh, and and by all means watch it. It, it has its moments. It's uh, say, and it I, sounds. I, it's sorry, comedic. I'm just, it's, I'm just it's reading. Not, but dark. It's dark comedy. I'm just reading the one line, the one line that that uh, IMDb gives, and on the bottom it goes, "With inner demons on the booze, lustful creatures tempting his lonely soul to sin, and a big plunge into the proverbial metaphysical shithole." Dave can expect some <laughs> strong comments on TripAdvisor. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to. Just in your basic description, it sort of reminds me of a movie, a Terrence Gross movie from like 2000 called Hotel Splendid, uh, with uh, I think Tony Collette was in it and Daniel Craig was in it too. They were trying to run like this decaying spa, like resort spa or something. But uh, that was a strange movie, but it doesn't sound half as strange as this or, you know, Delicatessen sp- springs to mind. But um, that's a shame that it doesn't work because uh, cool title and sounds even though it sounds like a convoluted pre- uh, premise, it sounds like it could be interesting. Well, he's basically a guy who, who, who has no ambition and uh, he's living in this hotel because it's a family, it's a family hotel. And uh, as far as they know, he's actually running the hotel, but he's just living there and not opening it up to anybody. So it's rotting. And then, you, you know, the things he eats, it's, every day is the same. He wakes up, he does what he does. Uh, it's on the exact same clothes. He doesn't clean himself. It's that's the start of it, and then it's almost like a sitcom uh, kind of. You know, it, it would probably work better as a half-hour sitcom, and, and might even get a season or two out of it if, if they <laughs> had more enough thoughts about it. It would work better that way, I find. Nice. So, a movie with a, 
a start and a finish like that, it, it just it wasn't enough for us to be invested in, in anybody or any of the situations. So just a little too thin, ultimately, for, for what was uh, presented. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say that for sure. Um, a couple of that I, I think, well, one that uh, Nathan, you might want to do with, with Dave Becker is the uh, the Spine of Night on your uh, Illustrated fan. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's a, that's a good one. Um, it's a swords and sorcery epic in a cartoon uh, animated uh, film. Um, very reminiscent of Bakshi, um, you know, Fire and Ice and, and, and uh, you know, his Lord of the Rings and those kind of things. But, um, well, it's IMDb. Here's what IMDb says. Uh, Ultra-violent epic fantasy set in a land of magic follows heroes from different eras and cultures battling against a malevolent force. Short and sweet, I guess, the, uh, the, the synopsis. Uh, it got an IMDb rating of 7, uh, but only based on 70 ratings. If you look at Rotten Tomatoes, it's got an 82%, to, uh, but only on 33 reviews. But it, it is uh, quite gory. It's an animated fantasy epic that centers around this this mystical blue flower and uh, and the people who seek to protect it through the ages from various uh, various warlords, wizards, witches who wish to use it for their own purposes, greed, uh, corruption, all their you know, all these nefarious uh, reasons that they want this powerful flower. It it's it's comprised of tales exchanged mainly by a swamp witch who. Uh, who was voiced by actually uh, Lucy uh, Lawless, Lucy Zena Lawless. Nice. Uh, and the current guardian of the flower was voiced by uh, Richard E. Grant, actually. That is awesome as well. Yeah, I yeah, know the voice talent is, is, is superb in the film. And, and the, you know, as time goes on, the flower is dying. And then these two are exchanging stories about it in its dying days at the top of the hill where he's guarding it. You know, it's chock full of sword and sorcery violence that... <laughs> You'll see many dismemberments, melted faces, burning bodies, graphic disembowelments, uh, tons of skeletons. It's amazingly, it's amazing in animated films how quickly uh, bodies turn into skeletons. But uh, there's a lot of blood on display in this film. Uh, but it's not just that. There's a lot of philosophical themes to go along with the uh, with the with the gore. Particularly uh, when it, as particularly regarding the thirst for knowledge, uh, one would say, and, and the power that that knowledge entails. Uh, what's very cool about it is, is uh, you know, it wasn't done digitally. It, it, it was hand-drawn, rotoscoped animation. The director is Philip Galat, I think it's pronounced, and Morgan Galen King. Uh, it took them many years for a 93-minute film. Uh, because they had a very small team of four or five people working on it. I, it's definitely something that you guys can talk about, probably give a whole episode's worth of discussion around it. it, it it's, it's like the you know the, the heavy metal uh, movie and magazines. It's that kind of stuff, but minus the gratuitous TNA, let's say. Uh, you know, it's, there's no misogyny. It's, it's, there is nudity, but it's, it's just straight. It's not, there's no, it's not titillating, let's say. Like like that kind of stuff it was like heavy metal was, but right uh, there's no 
you know, naked girl riding around on a panther or, you know. No, exactly. Thing. Or, you know, metal bras. And <laughs> yeah. But the other voices in, in the movie is uh, Patton Oswalt is actually in it. Uh, I don't know if you know, but he does quite a bit of. He, he's everywhere. My kid was watching a Minecraft cartoon and he was in it. Exactly. But he plays this power mad lord. Uh <laughs> And uh, I think my favorite is Larry Fessenden, who uh, who plays this. Uh, he plays the Prophet of Doom. <laughs> That's you know, what I read. Is, I see here in IMDb, he's listed as the Prophet of Doom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's he's just too funny. But um, it, it's I really really enjoyed it. This one works. It works really well. So that's the uh, the spine of night. That sounds awesome. I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, it was actor actually uh, Victor Rodriguez who had brought this up. Uh, I think we were either discussing Illustrated Fan or it's when he came on and talked about Batman and he had been mentioning this to me. We've been talking about Love and Robots, which Love, Death and Robots on Netflix, which is a really cool, probably the closest thing I can think of to heavy metal that's out there now. And they are intended for adults. You know, they aren't most of them are not things the kids could watch, but they within they're all animated and they're all within the the theme of science fiction, fantasy or horror. Uh, They're pretty cool, but. Uh, both these guys worked on Love, Death, and Robots, uh, and I know that Philip Gala had written several of those uh, those episodes. And that show has that kind of feel where, you know, there were some episodes that felt gratuitous, but a lot of times it did feel like that animation was almost the right medium for these stories. You know, that there was a reason that this was animated. It wasn't simply, oh, we're going to make this like Boxy. You know, that they found the right rhythms for the story they were trying to tell. And I'm super excited for this. Everything you've mentioned about it down to how it's done. And, uh, and then the animation is the animation itself. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, it's like, like I said, it, it, you, it, you could be watching, uh, you know, a, a late seventies, early eighties, Ralph Bakshi film, the way it looks, because it was done in that exact same fashion with the rotoscoping. And, and I mean, they have to draw every single frame. Uh, Which I appreciate, and I think it does add something. In fact, I just watched I, a Fire and Ice not so long ago because it's that's an upcoming episode that Dave and I are going to be doing for uh, the next episode. In fact, of Illustrated Fan, we're reviewing Wizards and Fire and Ice, and the Fire and Ice still looks pretty darn good. You know, visually speaking, yeah. it looks pretty good. It looks, it does it look clean and polished the way that big animated films. No, but that's part of its charm. Exactly. No, it's uh, definitely it doesn't look polished at all, but it, it's uh, and, you know, I, I'm not sure how old you are, but I think we probably are similar in, in age. It, it brings you back to to the, the, you know, the animated cartoons we watched as kids. Uh, although. I don't know what age you would want to show this one to with, with all the, uh, yeah, the I'll uh, probably hold this back for my kids. for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, no, it's 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 it was a a lot of fun, a lot of fun. I, I watched it with my my 19 year old son, and he absolutely loved it. Yeah. Nice. And what would you rate this one? I've misplaced my sheet. I forget, but I think I gave it an 8.5. Nice, nice. And uh, yeah, that's at the top of my list for even particularly the ones you've mentioned here tonight so far. I really want to see this. I thought there was a release date i'm trying to uh like a for for like home video or something uh i still call it home video you know that will be released on streaming or something 
I thought I saw that too recently, and I think it was mid-October. So you know, the, oh, you don't sweet. To, yeah, you won't have to wait too too long. Um, one that might be good for your show as well, uh, being that you're into science fiction, uh, or this show uh, tends to lean towards science fiction. Um, is a movie called Ultrasound. I don't know if you've heard about it. I've you know, it. I haven't. Yeah. Go ahead. I've seen a poster for it, and I've seen a little bit of buzz about it, but I really don't know much about it. Why don't you let us know a little bit about the film? Yeah, the poster doesn't really uh, doesn't do it much justice. Um, <laughs> it's it's a mind bending movie that that you're just going to be uh, from start to finish. You'll, you're like there are tons of, of WTF moments uh, throughout this movie. I've we watched this one at home, and, and I, I just a few times during the movie, I was oh my gosh, I, I can't believe that happened, uh, or how did they do that, or, or you know, just where did that come from? Uh, what happens, and it doesn't start off that way. What it starts off as seems like just your your run of the mill thriller where where a guy's car breaks down, and he he uh, goes and knocks on, on this guy's door to try and get some help. And the guy invites him in. Says, you know what? It's really late. There's nothing around here. We can't get a tow truck out here. You have to spend the night. You know, it's one of those. But then they start to get talking and then he brings his wife out and they're having a few drinks and what whatnot. And uh, the next thing you know, the host is inviting Glenn, the, the, uh, the car owner to, uh, to sleep with his wife. And, and, it, it's weird things going on. Is this happening in his head? Is it happening? What's going on? Uh, what was he drinking? What was in his drink? I was just expecting, a, you know, some kind of thriller. It might be fun to pass an hour or two or an hour and a half, whatever. But uh, it turns into this crazy, crazy story. Uh, you know, I, you know what? I can't say much about it. I don't want to spoil it. There's deep hypnosis involved. Uh, yeah, you've sold me. I'm good. I'm good yep. on that. That sounds uh, great. Yeah, I was gonna say it has like thriller, sci-fi, horror, all kind of wrapped into one. Yeah, absolutely. And and this this uh, Rob Schroeder, 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 uh, the director is it's uh, I, I think it's his debut if I'm not mistaken. And if if he keeps doing stuff anywhere near as good as this, uh, he's gonna be somebody to look out for. <laughs> Uh, I also gave this one an 8.5, but it's it's uh, there's a lot of sci-fi elements in it. It blew my mind. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. In fact, I, I think my 8.5 has gone up since then. The more I think about it, it's at least a nine. Now you me. mentioned you mentioned that there've been a few comedy films in there. I mean, comedy horror, comedy straight comedies, what have you. Was there one that kind of just made you giggle as you watched it, and you were like, yeah, I wasn't expecting much, and all of a sudden. I found myself laughing through half the film. Well, I mean, there's a few that are, are you know, straight up comedies. Like I had mentioned, King Knight. It's, it's, there's nothing horrific about it. Uh, but I laughed straight through that one. There's one, uh, one that's kind of like a romantic comedy, but again, a little bit of a sci-fi touch in it. And it's called Ghosting Gloria. And uh, that's about a woman who can't find a date. Lord knows why, because she's super cute. Uh, but she's just lonely, whatever, and she she ends up uh, getting wanting to leave her apartment because all she hears is the neighbors upstairs, uh, you know, in their bedroom doing what people do in their bedrooms, 
And so she wants some privacy and, and quiet. So she talks to her friend and she gets this, uh, her friend knows this house where a man recently died and she, they have to sublet it for a while. And so she goes there and well, the man hasn't left, so to speak. His ghost is still out. And uh, there's a little bit of romance shows up there. And, and so it's, it was cute. And, and uh, I was laughing throughout. Again, there's absolutely nothing horrific, even though there's a ghost in it. Uh, a couple of spooky moments, I guess, when she's first realizing what's going on. But it is quite funny. And she's uh, endearing uh, in her performance. And it, it's really quite a cute movie. Um, well, so it's funny. Here's the here's the uh, synopsis. A single 30-year-old who has never had an orgasm finally founds her ideal lover, but the only caveat is that he doesn't inhabit the world of the living. There you go. <laughs> so. It sounds fun. There you go. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And uh, it, it, as a lot of these movies nowadays do, is they, and I guess that's how it got into Fantasia as well, is, is that uh, there's a little bit of a, a twist or a... a uh, something in the end that makes you go, oh. <laughs> so, it, it it looks like you saw the world premiere because it said release date August 11, 2021 in Canada. There you go. That was it. That was it. That was yep. Well, I've seen that on a lot of these movies. So I watched it streaming. So, but a lot of it, some of it was um, uh, something about Fantasia that that's different too is that you can purchase individual tickets for scheduled screenings even online. Uh, but there's also a, a, a pass you can buy that it's on demand throughout the entirety of the festival. Some films are only shown once. Some films are, are on demand throughout the festival, so you can watch them at like 10 a.m. or whatever. Uh, and most of the ones that had scheduled online screenings, for example, uh, if it had a 9 p.m. screening on a Tuesday night, would be available for 24 hours two days later, starting at 9 a.m. So if you couldn't oh, watch nice. the screening for any reason... On the Tuesday night, well, you can watch it any time Tuesday morning between 9 a.m. and Friday uh, at Thursday morning uh, between 9 a.m. and Friday 8:59 a.m. So it's really and there were no problems with the uh, the internet connection. Uh, the, the streaming site they use was very very reliable. Uh, the app on phones is a little clunky, but but uh, but it's only their second year using it, so I'm sure they'll iron that out too. Let me ask you, jumping from the funny to you know we've we've definitely talked about some movies i think that would be in the wheelhouse for for horror fans and and sci-fi fans too but did you see anything at the festival it sounds like uh the, well the sadness sounds like it was a really uh you know out there and kind of visceral movie did you see anything that was particularly scary to you you know from a horror perspective or or that was sort of frightening and uh in terms of it could really happen or just, a, you know, I find, and it might be similar, I find that, I, you know, when we get to horror films or the thriller films in general, that there's there's very few that really sort of spook me or creep me out. But the ones that do sort of, you know, they leave a mark or, or leave a uh, an impression. And it tends to be, I, mean, I've saw, I saw a couple at some of the various film festivals here that did that, but it seems that that's, uh, usually it's a difficult thing. So I was just curious if anything this year sort of had that effect on you, you know, outside of the gore and everything, was there anything that was truly scary or, or spooky? Yeah. Um, scary. Again, it, it, it all depends on, on what your capacity is. I mean, I've, I've 
been a fan of, of scary movies for over 30 years and probably have to say no. I mean, there are some movies with some good scares in them. Uh, the, the Deep House is a uh, one that, that uh, showed oh, there. It yeah, forgot about that one. Yeah. Julien Maury and uh, Bustillo, the, uh, the the pair behind uh, Alain Terrier in, inside. Um which is a, a an underwater haunted house, and uh, it's found footage or most mostly found footage, which can get a, a bit annoying at times in 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 a deep under it's in a lake uh, in an underwater uh, setting. But there were some good scares in there. Uh, they they wanted this couple uh, has a YouTube show, you know, as as is normal for all of these types of movies. And they they explore haunted houses and stuff like that, and they've come to this to find this place that's uh, underwater and completely preserved, and uh, they want to go explore it. And it turns out that uh, hey, it's haunted. So <laughs> there's some good jump scares in there, and then uh, I I might have you know fidgeted in my seat a few times as opposed to jumped out of my seat, but. Uh, some people might might find it really good. I did rate it a 7.5 because it's it's well done. There's enough going on and and it, it's it's explained in the end uh, what happened and you know why it's haunted and and I like that. I like closure in a film like that. So I I, I did rate it well enough. Uh, it's definitely worth seeing, but it's not it's not their finest work. Although for them, I, I'd say it's hard to top uh, Inside. The one question I have is the beauty of this kind of scenario is. You walk in with zero zero expectations with almost all the films, and you get what you get. Which film did you walk in look, knowing virtually nothing? And after your 90 to 120 minutes, you were like, holy crap, this was good. Well, I might surprise you. Uh, it's, it wasn't a horror film. It's a film called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. I don't, have either of you heard of that one? I, I have. It's a Japanese, is it? It's a Japanese Yeah. I really want to see it. Oh, it's it's phenomenal. I, and I, I had very low expectations. It was near the end of the festival. I was like, let's get in as many movies as we can. Uh, before I, I started the festival, I, I watched all the previews that I could, or not pre- Yeah, all the previews that I could that that I wanted that I didn't know anything about. And I watched that one. I said it looks intriguing. Um, I put it on on the list, but it, uh, other stuff always came along that that I was more interested in or that piqued my fancy i guess uh, but near the end i, I was ah, we may as well watch it right so i watched it and i was blown away it's what it is 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 um a man who works in a a little cafe or actually owns it or his family owns it realizes that his computer screen allows him to see two minutes into the future <laughs> But only two minutes. And from there, and it's it's almost like it's a, it, it was a, a play. It, it's so well shot, so well filmed. The blocking is incredible because at one point he's setting to try and expand on the two minutes. He sets up a screen in front of a screen, in front of a screen, in front of a screen. So at one point there's like three or four of himself talking. And then his friends come into the into it, and he's showing them, and they can't believe it. And they're they're trying all kinds of different tricks to 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 see if it's true. Uh, they think he's joking. Um, what happens is uh, they then decide, 
oh, well, we can make money with this. You know, we, we don't know who's <laughs> going to be president in three years, but but we can we can uh, we can make some money if we know where money is going to be in the next two minutes or whatever. <laughs> uh, it's really, really, really interesting. <laughs> and it's fun and funny. Uh, and it's also tense. Uh, you know, some gangsters come into it because the money that they find uh, belongs to gangsters. But it's all set in this one place from his from his bedroom upstairs of the cafe, the cafe itself and the staircase between the two. So it, it, it can actually be put on as a play if uh, if, if they wanted to. And it's, it's so well done. There's, there's no holes that I could find. Well, that's right. Like what'll happen is either Spike Jones will adapt us for Broadway or it'll be an Adam Sandler Netflix original remake next year. Mm. <laughs> I'd, I'd rather Spike Jones part, but yeah, right. And this sounds, this sounds like a movie that if I, if I manage to see it sometime in 2021, I, I have that sense that it's going to be near the top of my list of, of best movies, uh, just getting that sensibility of it. And it does have that, what I've seen, what I've seen of it and heard about it, and including what you just said, Jason, it, it does kind of bring to mind Spike Jones, like that that being John Malkovich, where you take like one absurd idea and then you wring as much reality out of it as you possibly can, and Absolutely. Which, which brings about the humor, right? Yeah, and the tagline actually for the movies is uh, a one take time travel sci fi comedy. Now I'm not sure if it was one take. Uh, but is not, it mounted that way? It's in, it's intended. It's visually presented that way. It is real time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and it's uh, I'm reading a little bit here on it on online. It's uh, it was actually the first film project from a popular uh, Japanese theater group. So they are a theater group. So they must have practiced this. You were practice. right on then. Yeah. This sounds amazing. This sounds right up. Right on both it, our alleys, I think, Bill. Yeah, I think so. And if it has some of that like Japanese sensibility, they can either go one of two ways, like super gory if you want. But this sounds more like it's just like almost eccentric, almost like to the absurd. Not which, yeah, not as absurd or eccentric as some of their game shows that they have. But oh but, no, no. <laughs> but it's, it's <laughs> he's in there and and uh, but it, it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun, and and it makes you think. Yeah. Just in the mention of it, it reminds me, not necessarily that this would be in the same caliber, but just you're talking about that Japanese sensibility, Bill, that there was a movie some years back called Summer Time Machine Blues. And I don't know if either one of you ever saw that. It involved a bunch of kids who they basically uh, it's something small. It's almost like a Sandlot scenario where they lose something or there's something they're trying to get back. And in the process of doing so, they realize that they have created a time machine and have done this six or seven different times just to to fix this one small foible. So yeah. I yeah. I love movies that spiral out from something like that. It, it, it sounds like um, a more enjoyable, funnier version of Primer. <laughs> you know what? I've, on on, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 100% rating. Wow. 34 yeah. reviews. I did. Still- I did. I did a quick scan. I, it's not uh, streaming anywhere that I'm aware of. So we probably yeah. have to wait a little while. You might have to wait a while for that one. Or scour eBay. So, oh, yeah. Uh, for, yeah, for some guy's shaky cam. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you get a copy and it smells like a rubber fire when you open the DVD box. <laughs> but um, 
That sounds amazing, Jason. In fact, a lot of the movies you've mentioned have instantly popped to the top of my list because while they might sound a little bit like other movies we've seen, they, for the most part, do seem far more original, you know, which is true of Fantasia than a lot of the stuff that we we get served to us in the multiplexes. Although that's getting better, too, I think, because there is more of an appetite for these sorts of movies. Sorry, I was just going to say, I did write down five films, and one of them is Hotel Poseidon. I am determined to watch this film. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, you, well, I'm not going to say you can't go wrong, but uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a whole waste of time. I, I wouldn't, it I won't wouldn't be that. in the top 100 worst things Bill watches here, probably. <laughs> <laughs> any, any other that were sort of best of or must-sees? Yeah. Yeah, well, the best puppet movie was, uh, for my money, Frank and Zed. And I don't know if you've heard of that. No, uh, I haven't. I'm not familiar with that Oscar category, puppet movie. <laughs> well, the, the film promises an orgy of blood, uh, but it's puppet blood. And it's basically <laughs> about a Frankenstein monster who's uh, living with a zombie, Zed. And they sort of keep each other alive. Uh, and they live outside of this this little kingdom where there's a curse and all sorts of things conspire to uh, and Frank and Zed are not evil. They just want to live, enjoy their lives. Uh, the the most evil they are is that uh, Frank kills squirrels so that he can get feed their brains to Zed. So that Zed <laughs> They're like so that Shrek. They just they mean well. <laughs> energy exactly. So that Zed has enough energy to. Uh, plug Frank in at night so that he gets zapped by a lightning bolt so that he stays alive. And, and so they're, they're subsisting on each other. That's uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, but then, the, you know, things happen in this kingdom and, you know, again, corruption, greed, the, the, the thirst for power and all that leads to them thinking that Frank and Zed killed one of theirs and then they go and, you know, the torch-bearing crowd and all that. And and the orgy of blood that they promise, it, it, let's just say it, it does uh, it does occur. <laughs> so it's it's the bloodiest puppet movie I've ever seen. <laughs> oh man! And, and is that also including uh, what was the Frank? What was the uh, Peter Jackson one? Meet the Feebles. The Feebles. Uh, it's it's in that vein. Uh, but <laughs> this, Meet the Feebles, I think, had some. Was it all puppets? I, I, you know, it's been a while. I know they were Muppety creatures. You know, they, they, there, in fact, may have been people in there somewhere. I, it's been a year since I've seen it. Well, let's just say it would be, uh, it would be a good double feature. I was about to mention that. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds uh, this, plausible. And you have to give them credit. It, again, it's a small team, and it took them seven, six or seven years to make this movie. So. Uh, for for a director who's only 35 years old, and this 20% of his life. <laughs> so, that's an interesting way. That's an interesting equation. <laughs> yeah, I'll see this for sure whenever I have an opportunity to. It's a lot of fun. Uh, one on uh, a more serious note, one is uh, one that I really loved. I gave an 8.5 on. It's called The Righteous. Have you heard of that one? It has a very short uh, review. Uh, Synopsis: A burdened man feels the wrath of a vengeful God after he and his wife are visited by a mysterious stranger. That doesn't tell you much about it, but uh, it's one of the ones I saw in person as well. It's a Canadian film made by uh, Mark O'Brien. He wrote, directed, and starred in it. And I don't know if you know Mark O'Brien, but he's 
mainly an actor, a lot of TV work. Uh, he has directed a few uh, episodes of TV and, and, and the like, but this is his first feature um, as a director. Um, you might recognize him. Uh, Bill, if you watch Canadian TV, you, you might recognize him, but... Uh, <laughs> The public at large would recognize him from Ready or Not. He was the uh, yeah. He was the the, the groom in Ready or Not. Um, oh, sorry, sorry. What's the actor's name? Mark, Mark O'Brien. Mark O'Brien. Okay. So he stars in this. Uh, he cast himself, uh, and rightfully so. He's a, he's a brilliant actor, uh, and uh, he also won. Uh, the, the award at the festival for best screenplay for this film. So he's, he's talented. Uh, he's someone to watch out for as well. And so, I mean, the synopsis is, is okay, but what it is, 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 uh, Henry Cerny. Uh, I'm sure everyone knows him. He's a veteran Canadian character actor. He's been in clear and present danger, mission impossible. And he was also in ready or not as, uh, as Mark O'Brien's father, actually, as the father figure in the family. Uh, in this, he plays Frederick Mason. He's a, a former priest who left the church uh, years ago to start a family. Uh, the reason he left the church isn't quite uh, disclosed uh, at the beginning of the film. Uh, uh, but the film does start amid tragedy after the death of his and his wife Ethel's child. Yes, it's Fred and Ethel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, his wife is played by Mimi Kuzik. She's been on a bunch of TV shows uh, and other things. You know, She's a lady of a certain age, I suppose. Uh, I think her most notable thing would be as Detective Patsy Mayo on Hill Street Blues, if anybody remembers that show. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, oh, uh, Bill, you and Dave Roy might be pleased to uh, to know that she has the honorable and rare distinction of having been on not one, but two episodes of The Littlest Hobo. <laughs> well, I was, just look- I, was, I was just looking up Mark O'Brien... I think he was in every episode of uh, uh, the Republic of Doyle. <laughs> that that TV yeah, show. Canadian. Oh, exactly. He's been yeah. on a lot of <laughs> yeah, a lot of stuff. <laughs> uh, and uh, on that little list, Hobo note, not only has she been on two episodes, they were both in the same season, and she was playing a different character in each episode. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was the the store uh, care, caretaker in one, and then distressed wife in the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess uh, back then the Canadian talent pool wasn't as deep as it is now, and they just had to keep uh, plumbing it. (laughs) How do you think Gordon Pinsent got so many jobs, you know? (laughs) Is uh, one night soon after their daughter's death, they're still mourning. uh, This young man, young stranger, uh, sort of is crying for help outside on their lawn. He's injured. And... um, you know, and so the uh, Fred comes out, and talks to him, and you know, despite Ethel's initial suspicion of of this young guy, uh, his name's Aaron Smith. Fred invites him to stay with them for a few days until he feels well enough that he can leave. So uh, what what follows is a lot of deep philosophical discussion among all three of them, actually, but especially Frederick and Aaron uh, about various topics, including God, the nature of sin redemption etc so it, it's got some it's a heavy heavy religious film and but aaron's challenging frederick's seesawing faith so to speak uh and and to more with more and more aggression as as they as time goes on 
Uh, at the same time, Frederick's having nightmares, dark thoughts. It, it leaves viewers wondering just who Aaron is and what his motives really are. And it was filmed in black and white in Newfoundland, which is it, it's so beautifully shot. There's long, lingering shots. Of, you know, it's it's a it's a dark and brooding character study uh, about a man of God dealing with grief and a lifetime of guilt, and what he does when faced with an opportunity for redemption. So there's not a whole lot of action uh, until the, the very end, I guess. Uh, Which seems fitting for, you know, for the kind of film it sounds like it is. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I was blown away. I, I just didn't uh, expect, I didn't expect it to, to hit me as hard as it did. And, uh, you know, there's tension in it. And it, 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 I was thinking about it for quite a while after the credits were done. Uh and I love that it's in black and white. That's really cool. Oh yeah, and and he did a really good job. And you know, it, it's it's a bit reminiscent. And and he uh, actually was there, uh, Mark O'Brien, and so was Henry Cherney uh, uh, at the screening. That was one of the ones I, I saw in person. Um, he said he was inspired by some of Bergman's more uh, religion tinged works, like uh, uh, Virgin Spring. Virgin Spring was I popped into my head while you were describing this one. Winter Light is work, yeah. yeah. You, you said particularly Winter Light. Winter Light is, yeah. Um, but it, it's, and it's, uh, it's, he's inspired by it, but it's not really derivative of it. Um, which is cool because it sounds like what he's really taking from Bergman there is those philosophical and religious discussions, and and ones that are serious. You know, I think Hollywood and films in general like to play that card and bring in characters who are religious either for purposes of you know bolstering some you know a certain viewpoint or sort of setting them up to knock them down and it's very rare that you get movies that are actually about serious movies about faith or about a person's faith you know so i'm i'm always intrigued when a movie tries for that because i think it's a hard thing to pull off really you know you're you're wading into territory that is tricky it is very tricky but uh, i mean in my opinion, he, he pulls it off, and it's not heavy-handed. There's no, he's not preaching to anybody. It's just he's laying it out there, and this is it. Yeah, it's you mentioned a- Bergman. I see someone else on uh, a review here, something uh, referenced Night of the Hunter, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. So, uh, I this is a must-see for me <laughs> as well. It sounds like a like a purposefully paced mood piece where you just kind of get on for the ride and see where it takes you. Oh yeah, there there are points when when it 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 does feel slow, but at the same time, you don't want it to go faster. <laughs> if, if you know that kind of that kind of thing, it's it's yeah. it's it's it's, 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 it's character driven, a character driven character, film. Character driven. But for for this kind of movie, it gets a seven point seven on IMDb, which take them with a grain of salt, but it's relatively high for this sort of film so it shows to the strength that it has again though i mean that was a world premiere and there's only been 40 ratings so yeah but i mean i gave it an 8.5 but it's funny says on the bottom more like this hotel poseidon (laughs) i I think that has to do with fantasia link i don't know yeah i was looking through uh taking some notes and stuff and none of them not all of them seem to fit (laughs) uh but yeah, Ow. I mean, also it was nominated as best film in the in the main category. So, and, and yeah. which, by the way, which film did win 
top overall film or the critics award or however they, they it's called phrase the, the, Cheval, the Cheval Noir, the black. Uh, Voice of Silence was the name of the movie. And did you see that one? I did. Uh, although it's the very last film I watched and I watched it only after I found out that it won. It's not, it's, it's good. Uh, but I, I, I was so exhausted from watching movies that I didn't pay a hundred percent attention to it. So I, I can't rightfully give any opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Been there, done that. Yeah. It, it's, it's two guys who do deliveries for, for some, somebody, uh, for their day job is delivering eggs, I think. And, uh, after hours they work for, uh, mobsters doing cleanup work and prepping people to be tortured and stuff like that. Uh, and at one point they one of the one of the two of them doesn't speak hence the title of the movie the voice of silence um and at one point one of the victims of these mobsters uh the daughter is 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 present so they have to the the two guys i guess the two prep guys uh are told to guard her and take her um and until they figure out what to do with her and it's sort of uh kind of like a buddy buddy film between a, a guy who doesn't talk and a little girl um it's quite good but i can't i can't say much more than that i i did enjoy it and there were some cute and funny scenes and you know just the idea of them you know they're putting on raincoats and getting ready to to, yeah. to clean up after uh, the mess and stuff like that so there, there's funny scenes like that but and i was gonna say after you finish that off you're like ah i gotta find the evil dead no, no, I, I didn't like. It's not because I didn't like it. I no, didn't fall no, no. Because I was bored. I, I was exhausted. And uh, there's a thing that happens because uh, Bill, I don't know if you've ever been to like a film festival. There's something that happens after the first several. You know, if you if you've gone for more than a day or so, you know, like fatigue sets in, and it's not even just normal fire, tired fatigue. It's a fatigue where it is hard to kind of get excited <laughs> about you know, a film in general, it's not that you aren't interested, but it's just like, you just kind of burn, you know, you get sort of uh, worn down with, with so many movies all at one time. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it is. And I, it's, it's too bad, but I, I would revisit it again. I'd, I'd want to see it again and, and get, you know, truly dedicate uh, my viewing to it and uh, get a good idea of, of how I really feel about it. But it's not, it obviously it won, so it's it's got to be good, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Of course. Um, and so just a couple more, and then we we can kind of wrap up, and we could do our uh, our 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 VOD roulette movie here. But uh, one I was curious about was uh, one of my favorite, uh, you know, I guess special effects artists. I know Phil Tippett has been working on a movie for years called Mad God, I believe. Yeah, it was in the making, I think they said. Yeah, yeah. And so I know that it, I don't know if it had a debut, but I know it did screen right at Fantasia. Did you get a chance to see Mad God, Jason? I did. Um, I did. And it's a a visual achievement, uh, but I just was not impressed with the story to it. Uh, There really isn't much of a story at all, uh, but it's, 
you know, it's it's Phil Tippett. <laughs> you know, he's did Star Wars and, and all that. And this is a film that's done primarily through stop motion. Is that right? Like yes. puppetry and stop motion? Yes, primarily, yeah. And it's it's really well done. Uh, the guy's a master at what he does. Just, again, just... It's like stop motion steampunk. Um, I don't know if that's something that... That, uh, that turns you on. <laughs> <laughs> a, a little, but only I think only when there is a good story there. This does again strike me as something that we would definitely want to review on, uh, you know, the illustrated fan. And but I have seen a number, particularly in those early years in two thousands, where you'd have a movie that requires such technical, you know, specificity and such so such technical diligence to complete and skill and craft that you get the impression that all of the time was spent on figuring out how to do it and not necessarily why are we doing it in the first place. You know, like it ha- I've seen several movies like that, that, you know, that I would see the trailer and it would be on my list of must see movies and I would see the movie and instantly sort of forget about it, you know, outside of the technical achievements. Uh, it's just, it's the kind of story that doesn't, it doesn't float my boat. I'm not into that kind of thing. And it was too thin for the amount of time that the film takes to get from point A to point B. Uh, but visually going from point A to point B or point Z, I guess, or Z for us Canadians, um, is, is visually it's, it's stunning, but it just, it didn't hold me. Which is sad. I, I mean, I still gave it a 6.5 because it's it's so technically uh, beautiful and, and well well made, and, and the work that went into it was just incredible. But again, it didn't have the story that, that held my interest. And, that, and that's it, too bad. It, it's a story of a, of, of a guy uh, who lands on this planet uh, and goes deeper and deeper and deeper into... Uh, he's trying to find something and it, it, there's it, there's no dialogue so right there it's nothing to to keep you to to keep informing you of what's going on so unless you know the story beforehand you, you're not really sure what's going on it's sort of a here look at this here look at this here look at this kind of deal sounds like yeah yeah if that could get you through well let me ask you did you happen to see one i that i also see screened at fantasia called junkhead I did. That was a lot more fun. I, and that, I mentioned that because it, I don't know if it's similar, but it sounds like this was a one man show. In this case, it was Takahiri Hori. And it's also that stills I see. Is this also a uh, is this also stop motion? Yes. And steampunk. <laughs> uh, yeah, a little bit of steampunk, but a lot more is, uh, futuristic sci fi. Uh, then, then the steampunk to me is is uh, old Victorian kind of historical yeah, stuff. Yeah, Jules Verne, H.G. Wells stuff. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is straight future stuff, and uh, it was it was fun. Uh, a lot of fun again. Not much happens. Uh, this little junkhead guy and he goes around uh, this place where he lives, and he's just trying to to deliver some thing up and all these weird strange things keep happening to him and uh little animals are 
big animals try to eat them and uh, again visually a lot of fun uh considering it's a one-man show it is a hell of an achievement um i preferred it to mad god but you know teach his own <laughs> and what would you rate uh what would you rate both of these well like i mentioned i gave mad god a 6.5 and i think i gave john kidd a seven and a half yeah, I'm more of a horror kind of guy, and I I prefer the the outright gore that uh, Frank and Zed provided in their puppetry. So, <laughs> so of the three, that's the one that's the one to really that, seek out. That one I preferred, yes. Uh, so it all depends on on what you like. And it's funny because a lot of these, and particularly these two, they do sound like the kind of thing that might have even been more fun as a video game. Yes. Given yeah. the level of detail, I, I've been playing Little Nightmares 2 with my children in it. That's a movie or a, a game that's got the, the the imagination and the and the artistry of like a movie. But you get the idea that it wouldn't be as much fun to watch <laughs> as it is to just be in those scenarios, you know. No, exactly. Yeah, no, Junkhead was a bit like that. And if, if any of it's a little reminiscent of, of a game sort of in the style of a uh, little big planet, if you know that game. Yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of stuff. A little little guy adventuring around and in this little world. and it's. But it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. There's one that uh, I'm sure a lot of people have been reading about, and it actually uh, started streaming today, I think. Uh, or at least VOD, I think, uh, is a uh, a Sion Sono film. Sion, Sion, I'm not sure. Uh, starring uh, Nicolas Cage. Have you, uh, you, I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah, I just saw it today. <laughs> the pr- Prisoners right, yeah. of a Ghost Land. Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Everybody's been looking forward to this thing uh, since the time they first heard uh, that these two were teaming up. I mean... You know, you got the, uh, the director of such oddball Japanese films as, as you know, Suicide Club and Love Exposure. And, and I, I think my favorite from him is Cold Fish. Uh, That's a crazy movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, I, for, for my money, I probably uh, feel pretty safe betting that it's the only film about a, a serial killing fish, <laughs> fish entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, probably a safe bet i think jason <laughs> yeah so yeah you have him uh directing a film that allows nick cage to you know do his unhinged crazy unhinged crazy man shtick to go radioactive <laughs> yeah, yeah like, you know mom and dad mandy color out of space even and even the Willie's Wonderland, he didn't do it vocally, but he was yeah. quite over in that one as well. Um, and in the middle, you have Pig, a nice, quiet <laughs> reserve. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's a uh, it's it's a weird one, and uh, it's basically a neo noir action western, whatever that means. But uh, you know. Uh, I was excited to when I heard that they were getting together to do something. But uh, here's what they say about it on, on the, in the synopsis on the Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, in the treacherous frontier city of Samurai Town, a ruthless bank robber, Nicholas Cage, is sprung from jail by a wealthy warlord, the governor, played by uh, old Chop Top himself, Bill Mosley, whose adopted granddaughter, Bernice, played by Sophia Butella, who you might recognize from uh, Gaspar Noé's uh, Climax uh, film, 
uh, it's it says she's run away. Well, in fact, she's actually been uh, kidnapped, and is, is if you want to believe it, is she's being turned into a mannequin in this ghost land outside of the town. So the, the governor breaks him out of jail, uh, and or lets him out of jail, uh, with the one caveat that he has to go and find his granddaughter, and. He straps on this, uh, he, he makes him wear this leather suit that has uh, uh, explosive devices in it, in uh, strategically placed areas, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> that will self-destruct, the suit itself will self-destruct within five days if he doesn't find her. But uh, uh, a couple of the explosives are also set up so that uh, if he gets uh, physical with her, violently physical with her, uh, it'll blow up his arm or whatever, or, uh, or if he gets, uh, let's, how would you say it? He starts feeling amorous towards her. Uh, something else might explode. Um, Ooh. we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Ooh, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The governor has been very thorough in, in, in figuring all of this out. <laughs> so, I mean, it all sounds like a hell of a lot of fun, right? So, uh, uh, Unfortunately, I, I I can't say it's either of their best work. I mean, uh, yeah, there's some beautiful cinematography and use of color in the movie. You know, in, in Samurai Town, it's all neon and bright, and and uh, the costumes are, are uh, extravagant, uh, geishas and, and samurais and cowboys all coming together. Uh, it's just a little bit of a musical quality to the film too. Yes. Uh, uh, singing and uh, it's all kinds of weird stuff going on, but the uh, you know uh, the ghost line itself too is nice. It's you know all dusty, uh, nice vistas in in the in the in the film. Uh, in fact, actually the brightest, uh, the most colorful part of the film is when they're uh, they're doing the flashbacks to uh, Cage's character, who's actually his name. He's named Hero. <laughs> uh, the flashback scenes to his bank heist gone wrong. Uh, beautiful shot involving an exploding gumball machine. And uh, uh, actually in, in that scene, is his, his partner in crime is played by uh, Nick Cassavetes. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, which was kind of fun to see him doing that. His name is Psycho. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, there's very cool costumes. The makeup's great. Some... Some interesting musical sequences and uh, actually use of songs. They have Jim Croce's Time in a Bottle at, at one point. It's, that it's, was a cool scene. <laughs> that was a very cool scene, yeah. Uh, and there's some excellent fight sequences uh, with uh, Tak Sakaguchi, um, very yeah. famous hero. He plays the governor's bodyguard, Yasujiro. Or Yasuhiro, I'm not sure, uh, but uh, every time uh, Bill Mosley pr- uh, tries to say it, you, have, you can't help but laugh. And. Uh, it's just a little. I don't know. It's just not deep enough for me. This is the the story itself. It's Cage was good, but not great. He he almost phoned it in. It seems, which is it's too bad because it, he could have really gone somewhere with with the character. And, although there is, were there no Nick Cage moments where Cage being Cage? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of them. <laughs> oh, is there? Okay. But but it's so far over the top that you kind of just blah. Well, 
but I think what uh, my problem with it is is uh, it, it's, what, what's keeping it from being a great film, I guess, or, or a very good film is is the it, the plot is kind of thin, uh, you know, and, and I think that might have to do with the the inexperience of the, of the two writers and in, in who who uh, wrote the script. Uh, one of them's an actor named Aaron Hendry, and the other was Reza Sixo Safai. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but uh, he only has three writing credits. So, I mean, it, it could have been a lot more polished. Uh, you know, so by no means is it a masterpiece or, or anybody involves finest work, but it's still, I'd say it's a hell of a lot of fun watching Cage and, and Bill Mosley try to outdo each other as they're chewing the scenery and all their over-the-top glory, you know. Uh, I had a lot of fun with it. Mosley actually wins that battle. Uh, between the two of them, he's more over the top, I'd say, than Nick Cage is, and that's saying a lot when you consider <clears throat> there's one uh, one one of Cage's best scenes is uh, his testicle-infused pep rally speech to the uh, to the inhabitants of the ghost land. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> but it's I, almost too on the nose, right? It's almost too much of a Nicolas Cage scene. I think that's what happens in this movie a lot. There's almost it's weirdly like over the top and yet almost too timid in some ways, if that makes sense. Like for, for the people involved, like it's you, I think the problem is the expectations given the, this matchup between the two uh, with, between the, the actor and the director here is that the expectations are so high yeah. that in it for, for people who know what to expect that what's delivered just doesn't, you know, as weird as it is, and it is a weird movie, the tone of it and the delivery of it, you know, it it does feel like you're watching Nicolas Cage living in this world that is just a giant collection. It's almost like he's living in the Matrix if the Matrix was written by some kind of second-rate pulp writer. Like, but it's almost done on purpose. Like they're living in a whole world full of of cliches and and throwaways from from like graphic novels. You know, it's it's like it, he just live the, the ghost land is like a junkyard of of archetypes and it's but the movie doesn't really explore that idea that's just sort of the way it is like it's all it feels like it's all surface level is that is that kind of how you felt jason yeah yeah that's actually spot on i mean it's i it's almost like he he well nick nicholas cage yeah like you said he knows what people are expecting of him uh so he he it feels like he half-assed it, if, if I can say that. Yeah. Now, I will say this because there is a and yet to this, which is it is, as you said, it's a lot of fun. It's a pretty entertaining movie. I totally enjoyed myself. I would watch it again. Uh, and if you're a fan of weird out there movies and you're looking at that, do I rent it for six bucks uh, or do I buy it for 14? You know, the only thing I would say, if you're the, the fan of the weird movies, go with the, with the buy. However, also understand that this thing's probably going to be on Netflix or Hulu or something in the next three months anyway. So maybe rent it for $6 to see how you feel about it. But I did uh, enjoy it. And I think if this movie didn't have that expectation on it. You know, if, if we came to this, like so many, like Nicholas Cage has what, like 30 movies a year drop. And, uh, yeah. not really, but there's so many that are, that 
you know, you look at them in passing and then you move to the next thing. And and I'm probably in the minority here, but I didn't really enjoy Willie's Wonderland that much. I thought it was OK, but it also felt like a lot of surface without a lot of like it was like, OK, we got Nicolas Cage here. We have the premise and then we stopped trying. And yep. Ghostland doesn't feel like that. It just feels like it's one. It's almost too afraid or not. Uh, ready to leap into the crazy because I think you feel people holding back. It's like you can feel the resistance of of diving in, and I'm not exactly sure why. Like there's a hesitancy to it that doesn't work I, for the craziness. I, I have a theory that I don't know how true it might be, but that uh, it could have to do with the fact that it's it's Sano's first English language film, and That's maybe he's probably being, it. Being careful. Uh, yeah. Not knowing the expectations of, of of a North American audience or a you know worldwide audience, uh, basically a more mainstream audience, so to speak, than than what he's used to. Uh, so maybe he was being too careful. Right, and they, but the flip side is, in some ways, this might play pretty well for the person's looking for a, a Friday night action night goofball movie. You know that that wants something who you know isn't like the rest of us that are going to look for movies called Six String Samurai and things like that. But you know yeah, that it's, it's built in that vein, and yet it is. And yet I don't think this one's a success successful because it seems like it's hedging its bets for the multiplex like audience, even though I don't think it would ever get that audience exactly. You know, but yeah. it's worth seeing. I I'm a, like a seven point five. I think that's what you said you gave it. I'm about the same. Yeah, I did. Uh, a lot of fun. I, I It's like definite recommend recommendation with a little bit of disappointment because it was just one of those that I wanted to see it shoot for the star. You know, I wanted I wanted to be a knockout slam dunk and it was more like a yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. It's, uh, it's a definite recommendation for fans of, of Cage. Uh, yeah. And they're going to see it no matter what. Uh, a little less of a recommendation for 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 fans of of Sano's uh, greatest works, but but still see it as you know as a a curiosity. Uh, and you know it it has some appeal for fans of post-apocalyptic. Uh, you know if you've seen Mad Max too many times, here's something new. Throw it's it great on. to look at, and and Mosley is a lot of fun. It's like he's trying, he's like channeling Tom Noonan and The Undertaker at the same time. Oh, his his, his performance is beautiful. Yeah, a little bit of Colonel Sanders thrown in. Too. A little bit of Colonel Sanders. That's, yeah. yeah. It, it sounds it sounds like an eleven o'clock at night, laying on the couch, don't want to think, throw it on. Get one of your gummies too while you're at it. <laughs> do whatever I got to do. Do no, it, it was fun, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I think a lot. I think most of the people listening here will enjoy it, but I would say go in with somewhat lowered expectation. This is not Mandy, but it, you can have some of the same fun with it. But it, to that, in my mind, Mandy sort of uh, surpassed what I was expecting from it. And this one, you know, it's just kind of it's about what it says on the tin. It's just that I think we were hoping for more. <laughs> and how would you rate it at a level compared to say Willy's Wonderland? I like it way better personally. Did you? But that was me. I'd say it's a, it's a, at least a step above Willy's Wonderland. Even though I did enjoy Willy's Wonderland, you know, it's, there was some pretty funny stuff. Uh, trying watching Nicolas Cage try to go through a uh, a role without talking is a lot of fun. But that uh, part was fun. <laughs> I think the difference is Willy's Wonderland started to recycle itself very early in that, and that's part of the joke. I get it, but you know, 
I think Prisoners of Ghostland, it does try to keep in bringing in new and fresh things. It's just that they're not always congruous to one another. It's not nicely organic. It sort of feels, uh, you know, cobbled together, which is almost by design in some ways. But I don't think it 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 never stops being interesting. Oh, absolutely. It, it, it definitely is interesting all the way through and a lot of fun. Um. Anything yeah. else, Jason? Any of that? Because uh, I want to. We'll probably wrap up here shortly. But uh, that's a ton of movies, and honestly, there's almost not a single one you mentioned. Even some of the ones that you said weren't great that I didn't have in my mind. That's on the list to see now. So. Um, oh, yeah. No, a couple that I didn't expect to be talking about that we did speak about, and uh, you know, there's one last one. I mean, it, it, were either of you fans of, of last year's uh, The Dark and the Wicked? It was an interesting yeah. film. Yeah, I think we liked it, but I don't think we loved it. If uh, if memory serves, like uh, I enjoyed the atmosphere and I enjoyed the build up, but for me, it didn't feel like a fully fleshed out story. Okay. Uh, yeah, I sort of felt uh, a similar way. I wasn't as high on it as a lot of people were, but it did get a lot of uh, praise. Uh, now, one that there's there. Um, Comparing a bit to that one is a film called What Josiah Saw. Have you, have you heard about it? No, I that's oh. a new on me. Yeah. Okay, it's it's a it's a long one. It's two. It's a full 120 minutes. Uh, it's got Robert Patrick in it, uh, Nick Stahl. Um, pretty pretty strong cast. Um, I mean, this synopsis is everyone in town knows about the haunted Graham Farm on Willow Road. You'll hear there's a bad history to it. Josiah and his youngest son, Thomas, are all the remains of the estranged family on the property. But after experiencing terrifying visions from beyond, Josiah decides they must change their ways to right a great wrong. After being away for over two decades, Eli and Mary, uh, Josiah's eldest children, are enticed to sell the property and reunite at the old farmhouse in hopes of closing this haunting chapter of their lives. Soon, sins of the past will be paid for. So... It's not. Um, so it it has that dark gothic feel uh, that the uh, you know southern gothic that the dark and the wicked had, but it's not supernatural. Um, at least not in the same way, uh, I'll say. Uh, but it, you know, it details the disintegration of a family. Um, Doomed by by secrets that they that they've had buried long buried secrets. Um, it's almost an anthology. Uh, it shows you know the first part shows Josiah and, and one of his sons on the farm and you get to learn all about them and, and then it goes off to explain and Josiah is played by Robert Patrick and everyone knows who he is I'm imagining uh, you know the uh, T-1000, Agent <laughs> Doggett. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the bad guy in Double Dragon. I'm just kidding. But he was. That's <laughs> true. Uh, but he's been in a bunch of stuff. And you, you, anyone who's – when you see him, you'll know. Although he's getting uh, long in the tooth and a bit uh, hasty, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in any event, uh, he's he's phenomenal in the film. He's really, really good uh, as a, a – a, you know, he's a – older father who's obviously uh, lived a hard life and, and doesn't stop drinking and 
his son's a little slow. Uh, it's it's very interesting uh, watching the interaction between them and learning uh, what's going on uh, between them. And then it goes off to uh, the brother, Eli. And, you know, nobody's made out, even though they escaped uh, the farm, so to speak, uh, and moved moved away. Neither of them have uh, ideal lives. Uh, you know, Eli's been in and out of prison, and uh, you know, scamming uh, people and uh, drugs and all that whatnot. And you find out why he went down that path, and then Mary is married and uh, having trouble having uh, kids with her her husband, who's played by um, Tony Hale. Um, oh I yeah. Arrested Development, all that kind of stuff. Arrested Development's where, yeah, where uh, my mind immediately goes. He's he's on a show. I think it's on uh, Disney right now. It's, it's pretty good. It's a kids show. I'm trying to think of the title of it, but it, it's kind of like a mystery adventure show. And it took us a few minutes to recognize him. He's also Forky in Toy Story. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, uh, pretty good comedic actor, but he he plays a serious one in a, a serious role in this film. And there's just no it's. There's no comedy in this movie. Um, so this but, sounds good, too. So is this primarily drama, like a dark drama? Dark drama. Um, yeah, uh, there is there's some horror in it, uh, at least some some surprising things, although there's a twist or two throughout the film that you might see coming. Um but it doesn't take away from from the uh, the impact of the film itself. It's it's uh, it's like I said, the disintegration of a family. Um, and when they, when they come back to the farm to 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 try and sell it off and just be done with their past, uh, everything comes to a head. And and it's uh, it's sad to see, sad to watch, because the, the performances are really good. Nick Stahl is fantastic in this movie as Eli. Um, he's a, he's a good actor. Uh, in yeah. fact, I think I most recently saw him in Hunter Hunter from last year. Mm-hmm. Good film. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely underrated. Uh, it's, I, I gave it, uh, I gave what Josiah saw an eight on 10. It's, it's, uh, one of the ones that will come out of the festival, I think, as a, at least a critical darling anyway. I don't know if how big of an audience it'll find. Uh, certainly, probably not as much as The Dark and the Wicked did, um, which is a shame because I, I think I preferred this one. Um, so there you have it. And Robert Patrick's just – he's one of his best roles I've seen him in. Well, that's yeah. There's a there's another one to see. I was, so I was going to say, and Robert Patrick has had quite a few good roles over the years. Yeah. No, indeed. Uh, but but I, yeah. yeah, he is a guy that I don't think always gets his due. You know, in terms of or never get doesn't always get the opportunity to sort of flex those acting chops in such a way where you can really take notice of them. Because I think you're right, Bill. He's always good, but he often gets cast as. The kind of you know he he's almost like a foundation uh, stone, right? Like the you put him in there and he's he's not the primary piece, but he's he's holding things up in the background, or he's he, you know he's he's being supportive, uh, and he doesn't always come to the forefront, you know. Yeah, and he, so I think I was gonna say he's always like the side heavy. 
Yeah, or or and he's not always been the heavy, but he's he's that actor that you kind of place somewhere that you, you want him you want a robust presence, but you don't need him stealing the spotlight. And he's actually very good at that. You know, he, he's good at being there, making the film better, and not always drawing attention to himself while he's doing it. I, I think of something like uh, the faculty. Oh, yeah, faculty, yeah. But let's yeah. just say though then that in in this uh, in this film he's playing against type. That's cool. Oh, I, I look yeah. forward to that then. So. so, so he's a soft, gentle grandpa. No, he's drawing attention to himself. <laughs> he, yeah, I think what he's saying is that this is a, you know, it, it's like last year Viggo Mortensen did to that movie. I think it maybe it was called Falling with Lance Henriksen, and it got a lot of buzz because Lance is a guy similarly who often is not in the spotlight, you know, and particularly in more recent years. And here he was with a like kind of a role he could dig his teeth into and be, you know, his acting is fully on display. Gotcha. And another curmudgeon I might add in that film. Um, but yeah, so I think that's, that's about it uh, on the, is there anything else you wanted to say, Jason? It sounds like a ton of great things to check out. I will put the, like the IMDb links and things like that to all the movies we mentioned in the show notes. But, and I know there are more that we could have, uh, spoken about a couple that I had seen at other festivals too, but I think, um, yeah, I think the ones we covered, there's, have, there's, have you seen, have, have you seen Hellbender? I've not seen Hellbender, no, uh, but I, I've heard about it. And it was one on my, was, Hellbender. <laughs> everyone should see Hellbender. I don't know if you know the story of the Adams, uh, the, the, the Adams family filmmakers, uh, not the movie Adams with the two D's, but <laughs> it's a family of filmmakers and their name is Adams. Uh, they 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 did a movie a couple of years ago called uh, The Deeper You Dig. Yes. Yeah, I saw that yeah. one. So this is their follow-up to that, and it is a really, really, really good movie. Uh, it, it's uh, a coming-of-age story um, about a girl, and, and, you know, they all act. Uh, they All three of them, the mother, uh, father, and daughter, had writing credits and directing credits on the film. So it really is a family affair. Uh Almost everybody in the film is friends and family of theirs, uh, and you wouldn't know it. It's so well crafted, well made, and it's uh, the, the title sounds ominous, but really what Hellbender is is the name. It's a mother and daughter who live alone together, and the mother doesn't allow the daughter off of the property, uh, and they get they get along well. It's not it's, the, she's told the daughter from a young age that she's sick and she can't be she can't see other people. Because she's sick and she uh, she can't make others sick and, and whatever. Uh, obviously, that's not true, and you'll find out more about it uh, as it goes along. But it's it's Hellbender is actually the name of their punk rock group that they have. <laughs> so, uh, which doesn't really have much to do with the story, although the music in the movie is fantastic. Uh, it's well filmed. It's a it's a folksy uh, coming of age story. I don't want to throw too much out there because you, you you really should see it. It's I gave it an eight eight point five on ten. Um, it, it just looks so accomplished for 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 a small budget family affair, and I can't say enough about it, and yet I can't say too much about it. <laughs> <laughs> the best kind. That's a good. Uh, some... Very high recommend. If you put the link to Hellbender, people can can go and, and check it out uh, on. Uh, on IMDb, but uh, Zelda Adams actually won Best Actress. She's the youngster. 
uh, the daughter. Um, best actress at the festival, and it also won best uh, best score, which was also done by the John Adams, the father. So it it, it just it's it seems like it's a hundred million dollar movie. Well, maybe not that much, but a fifty million dollar movie, and I, I their budget couldn't have been one. They couldn't have been more than like a tenth of that. So, I will definitely keep my eyes peeled for that. And that 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 title has been on my list for a while now. Um, and I did enjoy the deeper you dig. Um, but this sounds like it's in a different kind of ballpark. It's like they built on on what they did there and just took a bounding leap forward in, in, in their skills. And it's not, and that's not taking anything away from the deep you dig. That was a fine film in its own right. Uh, but you know, it was a first film and yeah. this is the second film, but it's, it's so much more accomplished. Their, their, their love of, of uh, film and, and film history. And uh, you know, it, it comes through. It, it, there's, I don't think it was mentioned, but I, I see, you know, Shades of Suspiria in it. I see, uh, uh, I, I, it's, I see, and then you, you see a little bit of Fast Times at Ridgemont High in it. It's a <laughs> odd mix, I know, but it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely something to see. And, and there are some good, uh, gore scenes for those who like that as well. Yeah, that, this one seems very eclectic, which is uh, which is kind of what you go into looking for. Uh, sounds like an awesome, awesome lineup. Like there, you know, so many movies of different of, of different styles and different genres. And it's, cause sometimes you'll come into a, into even Fantasia or some of these film festivals with a list of must see movies. And 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 you've mentioned some that were disappointments. And yet it sounds like there's a, as well an equal number of movies that hit and, and that were surprises. So it sounds like yeah. we have a lot to look forward to as, as fans of, of interesting cinema. Yeah. I mean, if I was to, to sum it up, I, I would say that there are no earth shattering uh, films, but there are a ton of really, really good films that came out of this festival. There, there was nothing that's going to set the world on fire. I, it, it may not be 2021 or 22, as some of these films might get released next year, uh, may not go down as, as uh, they, they may not have, you know, oh, the best horror movie or the best genre movie ever, but there are so many good ones that are worth people's time and, and they really should seek them out. And I look forward to next year. <laughs> I'll be there. You have your tickets bought already? Uh, no, but I, I will. You got to go think... too, Bill. You can be our other man on the ground. And... <laughs> August, I'm camping. I'm sorry. Uh, that's right. <laughs> just what you do is just drive the camper, the the um, trailer right up there into the, yeah. Right. Just keep going past Kingston and up into Montreal. Park it outside the theater or whatever. <laughs> um, anything else, uh, Jason, you wanted to, to mention about these, uh, about uh, Fantasia before we move on? No, I mean, I think we covered most of them. I mean, there are a few more I could recommend, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, if you want me to throw titles out there, then uh, it's just, there's uh, Coming Home in the Dark, a New Zealand thriller. Uh, that's quite quite a gut punch. Uh, yeah, brutal. Uh, but a strong a strong movie for sure. Yeah, a strong movie. Maybe a little heavy handed uh, with the 
especially uh, probably if you're in New Zealand, it's even more so, but uh, the social commentary. Uh, we're all going to the World's Fair is, is a, an interesting one about uh, a quest for fame uh, among the youth, even though uh, the means to get it causes you to be uh, lonely. Uh, deep. Uh, That's uh, a very strange movie. Like, because I have seen that one, and it's hard to it's a it's a hard to really evoke the feeling of it just by mentioning it. But it you know it's seen largely through the computer screen of a young girl you know who's who's trying to take place in this uh, what World's Fair challenge this kind of arcane thing online and that changes you yeah as uh, as the more. Uh, the more you do the challenge, the more it changes you or something. Yeah, uh, and it's intended to be a – I mean, it's it, at least it was kind of when, – when my wife and I – it was a Chattanooga Film Festival. We turned it on. We were watching it, and I think she uh, was losing patience with it because it's, it's almost billed as a horror film. And I guess in some ways it sort of is, but it's a very um, – it's not paced like you'd expect, and it's not doing what you would expect. And I think you're right. Like, loneliness is the prevailing – yeah. The prevailing feeling here. That's totally what I got out of it, and and she was fantastic, the young actress. She's, she's, a, first she's amazing, yeah. And it's her first role. Uh, she was just phenomenal. She's almost uh, too good because what she really ends up portraying is a a young person who's sometimes hectic and sometimes full of malaise, and it's like you're watching a real person do this in front of their camera, and after a while, you're like, oh. yeah. Yeah, but that's no, yeah. sort of what that's the intention and the and the kind of the 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 energy of the film. Yeah. Another one uh, would be uh, the last thing Mary saw. That's a. Uh, How was that? I I've, I had that on my list too. I know it's come to Shutter. I think in 2022 or 2021. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting uh, period uh, piece uh, horror film. Uh, about the lengths, I guess, that people will go to to uh, for their to protect their religion. Uh, the lengths they'll go to, uh, other people will go to to uh, for uh, for love, uh, and even the lengths that some people will go to to just to get a meal. Um, <laughs> uh, as uh, Rory Culkin. Uh, has a, has a not a cameo, but he has a, a couple of scenes in the movie. Um, it's a, it's a dark, dark uh, religious themed film. Um, again, it's it's a high, it's uh, I recommend. It's a seven point five on ten for me. A little slow, uh, but well acted, well shot. Um, just a I don't know, it's a oppressive feeling to it religious oppression um, within a family uh, even so it's heavy it's heavy but 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 still definitely worth watching very cool and and jason thanks for taking the time to kind of run all that down and, and discuss the fantasia with us i think it's uh awesome to get a chance to cover those movies and to hear about some of these which i think will pop up on our radar as the year goes on and probably if they come out this year some of them probably will end up being discussed again at the end of it and uh i'm sure at least one or two of these would probably be on a lot of people's top tens at the end of the year yeah and i'd look forward to that but now let's talk about a movie that i'm sure is better than all of those movies 
uh, <laughs> that, that we all got a chance to see. And uh, I think we'll turn this one over to the resident, uh, even though this isn't a Tubi movie, really. I saw this on Netflix. Bill, do you want to queue up our roulette movie of the night? <laughs> our roulette movie of the night was one that I was told you two had watched. So I was like, I better watch this damn film. <laughs> because you're not watching any other movies, right? Oh, no, no. This was, this was on the top of my radar right away. This is The Devil Below from 2021, an hour and 28 minutes. The original title was called Shook'em Hills. The, <laughs> the synopsis is... A group of four amateur adventurers who specialize in exploring remote and forsaken places pay a visit to Shookham Hills, a town in the remote Appalachian Mountains, which was abandoned decades ago due to a mysterious coal mine fire. Uh, this was an interesting film. I will say that it didn't always go where you thought it would, or maybe it did. As directed by Bradley Parker who's probably best known for Chernobyl Diaries. If you remember that from a couple of years ago. But looking at him, he was also the second unit director for War for the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So he's kind of been in. Stars Alicia Sands, who was on the TV show From Dusk Till Dawn. Uh, Aiden Canto, who was in X-Men Days of Future Past and The Following and an actor most genre fans will know, Will Patton, from such oh, fa- Will Patton. S- such movies as Armageddon, The Punisher, and The Client. He always ends up being a kind of a likable side character, but not often does he carry a film. And he doesn't carry a film in this one either. But you'll <laughs> you'll remember you'll remember him. So here's what I I had. It opens dramatically at Shookham Hill's mine with. Will Patton's son being taken by something. They're miners. They've come out of the mine. They're talking about their day and what's going to go on that evening. Uh, and, I hope. Well, not and, quite. Well, not quite. But the son, let's just say, is scraped away. <laughs> yes, that's accurate. So <laughs> that it kind of cuts to years later. And five outdoor adventurers go looking for this mine. They know something's happened there. There hasn't been a lot of publicity about it. They're determined to find this mine and find out about the calamity that has happened there. It's not easy to find on a map. And it was one that they ask, they stop for gas and and sundry supplies. And they ask the person behind the counter, do you know how to get to Shookham Hills? And the guy wants nothing to do with it. I don't know where it is. I don't know where this place is. Just go back on the freeway and get back to wherever you came from. It it, it turns into a mystery movie and also a creature feature. You know there's something out there. You know something happened to Pat and Son. And they're kind of determined to discover what what happened, okay? They, they discover... Discoverers are there to see what really killed the people. It wasn't just a fire. They're blaming all the problems on like an environmental fire, but that's obviously just a cover up. I found there was a really ominous musical soundtrack or score. It kind of sets the mood. I'm not going to go into every plot point, obviously. The local townspeople really don't want people digging around in their business. If you kind of get my drift, you kind of know where the movie's going but you want it to be a fun ride. 
and I'm going to leave it up to you whether you think it was. It becomes a survival film. Uh, there's elements of the descent. There's elements of a quiet place. It, the movie's not at that level, but there's elements of it. Um, when there are certain things found, I don't know about you guys, I thought it sounded a little bit like Predator. Yep. Yep, and I found that it got really weird towards the end, kind of a fire in the sky, and I'll just kind of leave it at that. And it, it, was it exactly the best movie in the world? No. Was it a, even a good movie? Maybe. I can't, I can't remember what I gave this, maybe a 6 out of 10. I would watch it again, but I wouldn't be one that I'm, you know, holding my bated breath to show somebody this film. I don't know what you guys thought of this. <laughs> uh, well, you pretty much summed it up. And in fact, in my notes, I had written down Predator, The Descent in a Quiet Place. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I had also written down Them with an exclamation mark. Oh, them. Okay. From the yeah. 1950s. Going back. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have a point because the, uh, the creatures, I guess you, you do find out that it's a, a creature feature and, and they do behave quite like ants colonizing, uh, colonizing underground, you know? <laughs> so. And uh, an amazing special. Ever, there, no. <laughs> it's what i love about this is they have a mix of uh, cgi which is awful and a mix of practical which is is awful and there is a scene in this movie where there are flamethrowers involved and one of the creatures is presumably rolling around and it is quite honestly just a dude in a suit like from a distance. I mean, I don't even know if it's a monster suit. It's just a dude in a in like a in a costume. It looks like they just flambéed some uh, mascot for a sports team. Absolutely, no, you're, you're spot on. In fact, it's almost like they they knew uh, their practicals weren't very good, and they tried to hide it as much as they could. Yeah, um, you've got ominous music going and stuff. Uh, to back up just a little bit, the. It totally feels kind of like a sci-fi channel movie, but not – I think most people think of now sci-fi channel movies as what happened once the Asylum got involved, right? And then everything became Sharknado. But And I don't know, Jason or Bill, if you remember this, but like early in the 2000s, sci-fi would, would, would try to make a reasonable creature feature or a reasonable horror film. And it was lower budget, and it wasn't very good, but it wasn't, it wasn't intended to be almost like – as bad as you could possibly make it on purpose. You know, there are movies like mammoth and it waits and things like this, where they were trying to or rest up where, you know, they were lower budget horror movies that probably weren't even made initially for the channel, but got it kind of picked up and garnered the title. And that's what this one felt like uh, quite a bit where there's a, there's a certain level of, of, of technical craftsmanship to the level of workman like, but not like, you know, there's nothing here that's going to be construed with uh, with a filmmaker really giving their all. You know, it, it looks just about good enough to be on television. <laughs> you know, the special effects things aside, the way it's shot, the even the the, the level of acting. Uh, you know, Will Patton, I think I, a, a guy who I don't think typically phones performances in, but he's just not really in it a lot. It's it's definitely like a paycheck kind of deal. You know, I think he shows up and he acts, but he's not. He's not given much to do. It's a, it's almost a cameo, really. 
Yeah, you, you see him for five minutes at the beginning, yeah. 15 minutes at the end, here and there, you know. But the yeah. initial setup of the movie, um, because this is sort of based off of much, much like Silent Hill did. It's based off of the concept of Centralia, which is a town in PA that was evacuated because of fire, coal fires burning beneath the ground. And that's a, I've been up in that area and where that town is, and it's a creepy there's a creepy feel to it, you know, and and everyone has been evacuated. There's nothing that suggests that there were arcane forces under the ground. But this movie has enough vested interest, I think, when it starts uh, that you are intrigued by the concept. You're intrigued by the setting, not unlike the Chernobyl Diaries, where unfortunately it's like playing up this sort of real world thing, but then it doesn't quite know what to do with it. And I found even the writing felt very like awkward it felt awkward and shoehorned and very deliberate like it felt like uh you know level one creative writing course you know there's a point when they are having this conversation about what happened was it environmental or randomly another guy says well if it wasn't environmental it had to be demons you know it's like these are the only two choices you know it's science versus religion so it's either demons or it was an environmental disaster and there seems to be no no road in between, but there's not a really good reason why he, he thinks that there would be demons involved. And that conversation, which seems like it's supposed to be a, you know, religion versus reason sort of argument. It just feels stupid. And they start giving info dumps about real world uh, scenarios and where things have happened previously. And it feels like one of those second rate X-Files episodes uh, that were only saved back in the day because Mulder and Scully had such great chemistry together and here there's no Mulder and Scully. Oh, that's a, that's a, a very good, uh, a very good point of view. <laughs> um, I, I found that uh, the first half of the movie with the exposition in the setup was, was actually fairly strong um, until the creatures has come about. And it's, it's almost like, uh, well, the, the people that are still left in this town, um, they you get the sense that they feel that they have to stay. And in fact, at one point, Will Patton's character says, uh, "It's my own private purgatory." Uh, I don't maybe I'm paraphrasing, but he says something to that effect. And I think that would have been a, a much better story path to go along. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, it you never really know just what exactly the creatures are. Are they the the Hellspawn, demonic descendants of Satan, uh, or or like it's it's slightly hinted at, but never explored further. It's it, that it could possibly be mutations of the miners who were left underground when this disaster took place. Right, some kind of weird hybrid or something. And well, yeah. I I actually wrote down at a certain point uh, the fire in the sky moments. These were uh, larger uh, creatures from the gate. <laughs> I can kind of see that, yeah. They, they, they did kind of, you know, scurrying around, doing these little, you know. Well, and the problem is, here's the problem. The movie becomes all about the creatures. And I think what you just said, Jason, kind of is uh, hits a nail on the head. Had this been a movie, sent, it, it, the scope shrunk down to Will Patton, and it even tried to be almost a character piece with a couple people in this town and watching the remnants of this town and why are they still here with this force – I think you're right. That's a stronger movie, and it gives the movie to something to be about. We we reviewed a movie earlier this year with uh, uh, the Horror Chronicles guys called Dark Was the Night, 
And I don't know if you've seen that one, Jason, but that one had um, which which one? Dark was the night. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durand was the was uh, the star in that one, and it dealt with a a a town that is sort of visited by they see strange footprints in the in the in the on the ground and in the snow and there's some sort of sinister force in the forest and there's a feeling that something's encroaching and again you have a creature potential creatures you don't necessarily see them a lot and it, but as the movie is moving through this is a story about Kevin Durand and about the people in this town and it's very rich in character and this movie just it I, I didn't the characters I wanted to care about were never on screen for long enough and everyone else sort of felt like fish in a barrel. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got kind of a feel of it didn't go nearly as good, but a little bit of the new wrong turn. Yeah, you know, like I, there's the people in town trying to keep away from, you know, but it wasn't as well done. Yeah, I feel like we're almost making it sound more accomplished in some ways than it even yeah, really is. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It does provide interest for a little while, but it just doesn't. Even even when you're interested, you're you're basically making certain um, concessions. You know, you're saying, well, this isn't the greatest acting, and this isn't it's not directed all that well. But there is a mystery here, and I'm kind of intrigued. And this, you know. Uh, this could really turn out to be something. And the fact that they dropped that ball kind of negates the whole thing. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I, there's, there's some, some, some major issues I have. Like uh, when they first get there and the, um, the more religious of the uh, group uh, is talking about how uh, in Siberia um, they had, uh, dug down eight miles below the surface and here's what they heard and it was this guttural sound uh demonic sounding thing and and the leader the scientific guy is like well no that's just tectonic plate shifting whatever and, and this and that but you know to everyone else it does sound like demons to, to the viewers and everybody and it's you know the, the shikam hills mine is nowhere near eight miles deep <laughs> in fact when they, they they go down into it uh couldn't be more than 100 or 200 feet feet down if if something was making that kind of noise more people would have heard it you know uh right it, it's just it sounds I, I never truly got the understanding of why they don't want outside help what why not uh, is this some big secret you want to keep for grandma? I, I don't now know. Why. you're questioning cliches, Bill. <laughs> I, was, I was saying how it could have been explored better. The, the purgatory thing is, is that Will Patton's character might have felt somewhat responsible for what happened. Or there is almost a sense. There's a point See, when he asked towards he the end, like he was, he was the owner of the mine. Yeah. So he felt some responsibility and he doesn't want his mistake to be known outside. Uh, and there's a sense of holding out maybe maybe his son will resurface. You know, there's a there's a I feel like there it, it's not very well established, but even towards the end there's a point when he asked, did anyone else get it? You know, there's there's yeah. almost a final confirmation that nope, this is, you know, it seems pretty final when it happens <laughs> when he was what did you call it scraped away? Scraped um, away, yeah. But, you know, I I I think that it's 
there's moments when you're watching it where it's a it's a perfectly passable background movie and it does feel just like one of those sci-fi movies where bill what do you say you're on the couch you got the remote and it's falling out of your hand you can't quite reach it you're like okay yeah you don't want to you don't want to have to think it's entertaining enough but it's not one that you're gonna okay i got the kids to bed i got the house to myself i want to watch the devil below like that's not gonna be I mean, what Which I unfortunately, found fun- I like probably most of us probably had to carve the time out like that to watch it, and then yeah. like, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, the other thing I found funny is these. I found it. <laughs> there's these big creatures, right? And you know, they're shaking the the underground, and they're being held by a, an inch and a half piece of uh, a cement under a, a cover. Really? That's good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had actually wrote a note. If these creatures were actually super strong demonic entities in corporeal form, there's no way that the simple electrical deterrence the villagers employ would be able to keep them from getting out of their <laughs> Well, it, it looks like manhole covers just being covered up. That'll keep them at bay. Like, really? Small, yeah, with, with small jolts of electricity uh, going through them. <laughs> you get to a point when you really feel that, hey, they could have almost gone the other direction and almost made this a send up of 50s B movies. And it would have been more entertaining, you know, because they're like that conversation you just mentioned, uh, Jason, the one that is supposed to be about, well, is it the devil or is it environmental? You know, why do we think it's the devil? Other than the fact that this is a movie that's a horror film that needs to have some maybe potential uh, suspicion of supernatural. Did any I mean. I understand even at the end it's left sort of open, but like, what? Why would anyone suspect the devil? Well, because that's the name of the movie. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> that's the answer to the question, and that's largely the problem. Everything that happens to this is why should this happen? Well, because this kind of thing happens in horror films. <laughs> well, and I mean, I don't know about you guys. When the movie ended, I was like, oh, it's over. <laughs> yeah i think i blinked or maybe i fall into a coma and then suddenly the credits were rolling and i'm like yeah. i think i saw the end last i saw that guy in the suit was on fire and it is it's kind of like those old roger corman movies the monster falls down dead and then bam <laughs> the movie cuts to black well you know like is she laura croft okay i'm gonna go out with will pat and then i'm gonna no you know whatever. yeah there's there's absolutely no reason why she, why her she would make the decision she makes at the end. Yeah. Just yeah. For her to make that decision. I mean, having, having said all that, I didn't mind some of the scenes underground. I thought some of them were hefty. There was a scene where she, uh, two individuals were trying to make themselves up a ladder uh, while being, uh, 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 in the middle of the, uh, in the middle of creatures below them. And they're being suspended by a ladder trying to climb. I didn't mind that. I mean, you know, you know what was going to happen, but it was still somewhat entertaining. I think that's the point, though, where the movie just feels like like cut rate descent. Yes, exactly. That's it. Yeah, this is level two of five levels descent. (laughs) Moments like that. But then there's also moments uh, like the scene where, where the creatures are feeding one of them to to this larger I don't know, worm-like thing. <laughs> it's <laughs> completely ridiculous. And so, and so the, the the effects in it were so poor that they actually had to blur the scene. So yeah, like, that was when it was really... I was like, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Yeah, that was my fire-in-the-sky moment. Yeah, very unfortunate, <laughs> that scene. <laughs> yeah. 
it's an odd film. You know what? It's one, as you guys have said, you know, it's, it's not odd enough. No, it's, it's not odd enough, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not, uh, um, like a movie we did a, a swim, you know, like it's, it's a, a, a touch above swim, but is it? It depends because, you know, I thoroughly was wrote off swim and was bored by it. And yet, I mean, I don't, it, it, I wasn't exactly enthralled by this movie, but I think it all depends. There's people who do enjoy that schlocky uh, asylum kind of movie and then just go with it and get in the the mood. The problem with this one is there's too much of a legitimate movie at some instances that you're I very much doubt anyone's going to really walk out of it being like, you know what, that really satisfied me because it drops the ball so so drastically in those in that last third, particularly and yet there's nothing in it that's going to be a so bad it's good. It's just a movie that's it's just so mediocre. It's media. It's forgettable. And the other, but it's, it's it's sad because it doesn't have a strong setup. I, I did find yeah. the first half uh, to be quite compelling, if if not exactly, uh, you know, nobody's a master thespian or anything. But uh, the setup itself was 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 quite strong, and then it just falls flat. Once they it, it just falls flat. It's, yeah. in, in this kind of movie, you know, the characters you know are disposable. But you don't have any reason to care about any of them, really. You're right. I, I didn't actually care about a single one of no, them. No, you didn't. You know, it's, you know, one guy loses a leg. Oh, well. You know, and whatever. I'm tired of this movie where we introduce a character like, yeah, Will Patton, and then a tragedy happens to him. And then you sideline that character for over an hour <laughs> and introduce us to a new group of people. What's the point? Yeah, and it, it didn't look like he'd aged all that much, to be honest. Well, no. Uh, why bother? You know, whatever. If we already showed the flashback. You won't remember it by you know the next time Will Patton shows up. Well, did uh, they see how many years later it was? It was probably like two months. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I, it was a years later, or I, I I thought it was like five years. That was kind of what it was. Thinking. Uh, yeah, I think it was between five and seven years or something. Yeah. This movie instilled in me such a lack of curiosity that I just didn't even like I probably it probably got more things over on me because I wasn't even questioning some of the logical concerns that exist within the story because I you I just sort of didn't have the energy to do so. Because I remember when I mentioned this to Greg Morgan and I put in the group I was watching it or whatever and Land of the Creeps, everybody's like, OK, it held me a little bit at the beginning, but in the second half, it just fell right off. Yeah, it, 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 when you're willing to give it some latitude, and it seems like it's going somewhere, and you hope it. You're thinking if they can sell this, if they can, if they can create this tension, this line between what's going on down there in the ground, and give us something, not even fresh, but something effective. But that's that's where it just loses its place. I mean, this is like a four for me, rating wise. Yeah, I guess that's just oh, too generous. Six, I, think, eh? yeah, I, I gave it a six. Although, you know what? I'm going off the top of my head because I don't think I actually wrote anything down so, <laughs> for a rating. So I, five. I, I, I was right in the middle with a five. Five, yeah. I mean, it's not like I enjoyed it, but I've seen worse. <laughs> well, yeah, to me, I mean, the four is for the fact that, it, you know, it's competently made and it is, it's interesting to a point and... It, perhaps if you're someone who's never seen a horror movie before ever, you know, 
you might enjoy yourself. I mean, my 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 kids were sort of like, ah, eh, this isn't so bad. And then even after a certain point, they were like, we we can turn this off now, right? <laughs> well, the good thing about if it, if it is your first horror film, hey, it can only get better, right? That's yeah, there <laughs> you go, Jason, and and hopefully they haven't ruined all the tropes for you by that point. But yeah, so uh, another classic. Well, we, we're gonna have to have Jason on when we do like six of these. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll definitely have you back on, Jason. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, you've been a great guest. I think, Bill, you have the right idea. We, we should get you on for a, for a, a VOD roulette and get uh, let everybody pick some movies. And, and maybe maybe do a little we'll – do, we'll all do a little more research. <laughs> no, that's the, the beauty of VOD roulette. There is oh, no research. I was the one that picked this one because Jason threw out a couple, a, a lot of titles, and there were some movies on there I guarantee were better. And I just saw The Devil Below, and I had seen a couple people on Facebook mention it, and I knew it was a creature feature. And I always had my fingers crossed, so I'm, you know, I'm to blame on this one. <laughs> so, so Jason, next time you come on, it'll be anything from a lot of blood, a lot of uh, monsters, a lot of bad acting, a lot of nudity, a lot, whatever is in that movie. That's all, Bill. You can also pick thoughtful, cerebral science fiction movies. I'll be fine with that. Although Bill does sometimes. The man the man from Earth, you know. Yeah, so the man. You, that. you know, whatever streaming service you choose, go buy a cool poster and take it from there. <laughs> Don't do that. That sounds good. <laughs> okay. Well, Jason, anything uh, – uh, if you want to let the listeners know either where they can find you or anything you'd like to mention or – uh, if you want to direct them to some of your, uh, you know, writing that you've done in the past. Um, well, I, I, you can always find me lurking in the groups, uh, Land of the Creeps group, uh, Father and Son Watch Horror group. I, you guys uh, don't have your own group yet, do you? It's coming. It is on its way. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll lurk around there, too. Uh, <laughs> you know, all of those kind of groups. Um Apart from that, uh, so I am on Facebook, Jason Widgington, if anybody wants to look me up. Uh, I do have a Twitter account, but it's I don't really use it that often, uh, more just to scroll through it rather than post. But it's uh, J-A-Y underscore W-I-G-G-E-R, J-Wigger. Um, apart from that, uh, I mean, I, I do have uh, – I've written for a website called Ion Cinema, and that's a long time ago, and they'd since changed their architecture of the site, so it's it's hard to find uh, anything I've written uh, there. Although if you Google Jason Widgington Ion Cinema, then you'll you'll find it. If, if hey, I'll put some links to the in the show notes to some of your stuff. And uh, more more recently, and my last one that I did write for is uh, is QuietEarth.us, and uh, I covered a, a, the Toronto. Uh, after Dark Film Festival for them a couple of years um, and some other films for them. Uh, so it's quietearth.us. And if you go to their main uh, website, you'll, you can see uh, my name on the lower right uh, as one of the contributors and you can click on it and you'll see a list of the, uh, the articles and reviews I've written. And apart from that, uh, just looking for uh, new opportunities. Maybe eventually uh, I would, want to get back into uh writing some reviews and uh maybe being a uh, a guest podcaster extraordinaire <laughs> <laughs> well you again you're welcome here anytime i would love to have you back and uh we'll set some stuff up so jason yeah. thank you so much we'll get you, you back i was gonna say we'll get you back thanks jason this was absolutely awesome thanks and 
Yeah. As for us, you can find us at the Phantom Galaxy at phantomgalaxy at podbean.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Phantom Galaxy. We have a page. And Bill and I, we have there's a couple more episodes before the end of this month. We have another illustrated fan coming up. And we've got a couple other fun things. And then we will be sort of launching into our Halloween coverage. We've got a lot of really cool uh, things coming up. Uh, we have an entire sort of slate of things planned. And I think it's it's going to be a lot of fun, but a lot of cool guests and things like that. So, again, uh, this is the Phantom Galaxy. Uh, Bill, anything you want to say before we head out? Otherwise, you guys are an amazing audience and a l- good listeners. And if there's something that you want to hear or see or get a review about, just let us know. And everyone, check out The Devil Below. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but get your notepad and write down all those movies Jason mentioned. So I cannot wait for The Spine of Night. And with that... This is the Phantom Galaxy signing out. If you've been enjoying the music here on Phantom Galaxy, the opening theme and the closing theme are both brought to you by synth pop artist Aries Beats. He's done a lot of really cool stuff in the world of synth pop, a lot of very interesting genre based retro themes. You can find more of his work over at AriesBeats.bandcamp.com. And until next time, we are the Phantom Galaxy. Thank you.